0: I want to go to
1: there? Snipe! I saw it in the window and I just couldn't resist it. Franty doesn't
2: like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person.
1: Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes, 30 hellas. Agreed. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention
0: the war. Clear eyes, still hearts to keep. Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound on Sites TV podcast. This is Kate Kalslick and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, uh, did you watch the SNL 40th anniversary? Because apparently, like, all of America did. I didn't.
2: Um, no, I didn't really like the idea of watching SNL for seven hours. It just didn't personally appeal to me uh i forget who it was who said that um it feels like snl is constantly memorializing itself anyway so why is this any different
0: i don't know, i think i have i think i have a fonder place in my heart for snl than than you do based on some of our conversations over the years and uh i would have liked to have watched it i was just too busy working uh so i hope i will be able to catch up with it but um no i've got i've got a big place in my heart for, for SNL in general, like the concept of SNL, maybe, or like the history of SNL more than as a weekly occurrence. I love
2: the idea of SNL, and, and occasionally it produces some funny stuff, and it's obviously been home to a lot of uh, very funny people. I just wish it was, you know, 70% less self-congratulatory. Is that so much to ask?
0: I'll get, I mean, it's 40 years. I'll give them 40 years. Come on.
2: Yeah, okay, but they do this all the time.
0: They do, like, you know, every five years we get one of these, that's true. There was the 35th anniversary, there was, I'm sure, I remember there being a 25th. I think I've watched that one a couple times on repeats and stuff, but, but yeah, so... I
2: mean, what show do they, what show do they think they're making? Studio 60?
0: (laughs) Oh, well, this is not going to be one of the shows we talked this week uh, in comedy. It's very, again, a very full, ridiculously full week in comedy, um... Less so in drama. Some interesting stuff to talk about there as well. But first, we should mention that we got to talk with Sarah Rodman of the Boston Globe this week about the Dick Van Dyke show, which was super fun. Very fun. That's coming at the end of the, the podcast. Always great to to have Sarah on and uh, talk some, some classic TV. We talked with, with you guys this week as well. Uh, we heard from Carl, have you watched any more 12 Monkeys? I had let them build up on my DVR, and I'm enjoying a mini-binge uh, catching up. And Carl started to make some fan art and stuff for it. Like, he's made trading cards for the different characters. It's really cool. I always enjoy when, when Carl gets really into a show and starts making that kind of stuff for it because it's so creative and, and neat. Um, so, so as much as I I have watched the first seven of, of 12 Monkeys and I did it as a binge for the most part and I enjoyed it in that sense, but as soon as I got away from it, I didn't really miss it too much. It's one that I would not, uh, I would not be averse to catching up, like finishing the second half of the first season at some point, but just with so much going on right now on TV, I just, I'm not going to set aside a chunk of time every week to, to keep up with the show, but I'm glad he's enjoying it. Are you going to, I ask, knowing the answer, what, what what do you think about 12 Monkeys? Are you going to set the time aside? Uh,
2: it's one of those shows where I'm going to have to, at some point, start reading up on it and see if, see if there's even a mild, like, culty consensus that it got, like, a ton better and is really diverging from the source material in an interesting way. Uh, until I get um, a solid vetting on that level, I probably won't Uh, reinvest any more time, especially because it's just such a crazy, crazy time right now.
0: Another show Carl asked about, though, I'm pretty sure we're on the same page with this one. He says, Did you watch Daria? I have a sick sick 14-year-old daughter, and I can't remember if it was a good animated watch. Uh, Yes. Daria is awesome.
2: I'm sort of amazed no one has called Daria yet for the shelf. How?
0: Right? Because it's such a great show. I would love to do a Daria DVD shelf.
2: Uh, I mean, I have very little memory of Daria, to be honest. Like, I'm sure I saw it when I was a kid. Uh, Don't remember much of it now. But for Every, uh, especially among the the women I know of my age who are slightly younger, it was huge for them.
0: Mm-hmm. No, it's been, I haven't watched it in years, probably at least a decade, actually, thinking about that. Uh, but I remember really enjoying when I did watch it in, in high school. And uh, just so great to hear that different kind of female voice on TV. So rare at that time, even now, I would say. Um, so, yeah, definitely. I give from based on what I remember, Carl, stamp of approval Your daughter will be a cool daughter if she's somebody who likes Daria. Um, His last thought here, I also really enjoyed Informed Opinions, as I have a seven-year-old as well. He likes a new show called Odd Squad, which is, um, I think it's a math-based one. I had heard about that one as well. Kyle says, I just realized there was no mention of Square One TV on the Informed Opinions segment. Such an entertaining math show with songs, I still remember. I also enjoyed the 80s return of Mr. Wizard's World. Never saw the original 50s one, but it had the same Mr. Wizard. Um, I'm not familiar with Square One TV. Do you know that one, Simon?
2: Uh, No, I'm not.
0: Yeah, so I think we need to catch up with some more, at least I should catch up with some more Math TV. I was trying to figure out what was going on in my brain with Mr. Wizard and Wizard's World. It's because there are two different series with the same guy. So that's what that was. So thanks, Kyle, for clearing Mm -hmm. that up. Augustine uh, posted the website, I was a Reading Rainbow Puzzle Place Mr. Rogers kid growing up. I'm really glad you mentioned Lamb Chop. I feel like that show is one of the forgotten ones. Kratz Creatures was great too. It was the nature version of Bill Nye. Remembering Carmen San Diego, I'm shocked that it didn't become a long-running game show. It was incredibly fun. It wasn't boring at all. Disney Channel does have educational shows similar to PBS on their network, but it's not, it's not all tween shows. And I'll be the one to def- defend Caillou. My nephews love that show. Also defend Five Nights at Freddy's. The game isn't violent. It doesn't have any obscene material at all. It's just scary as hell. I see nothing wrong with experiencing uh, that at a young age. It's a good learning tool, in my opinion. Better than watching Barney. Uh, so, any any thoughts on all that? Like, what? I'm, of course, me, I go back to Carmen Diego. Why do you think that didn't really take off and last more? Like some of these others, like you, we were saying, Arthur is still on. Why isn't Carmen Sandiego still on?
2: uh maybe the, maybe it was a more finite premise because you know it's your geography based puzzling and they ran out of ideas um to, to get back to uh, just to just across two ideas i'm amazed that no one's ever done a five nights at freddy's barney mashup because the character <laughs> designs aren't that far from barney and honestly it doesn't take much to make barney scary
0: yeah it's true really does not take that much I'm, i still uh, always enjoy the um was it Adam's Family Values? Is that the one where they have to go to the camp and they have to go to the Happy House if they are, uh, if they act out and they are, are forced to watch Barney on a loop for hours and hours until they adjust their attitude? Um, I,
2: I never saw it, but I believe you.
0: Yeah, it's pretty fabulous. Um, yeah, that's entertaining. I'm going to see. I'm going to have to look into Five Nights at Freddy's now, and I'm probably going to regret that choice. Friend of the show, Jason Griffin says, I found the slap to be an interesting drama. Uh, being told in an interesting way with an absolutely fantastic cast. wanted to mention this because apparently we are on a limb with liking the slap. Uh, I, I heard uh, that Joanne Robinson <laughs> over at Variety, uh, Vanity Fair wrote a positive review, and I think we saw like, like AV Club gave it, I think like a B or something. But yeah, everybody else has been slamming the show.
2: Yeah, Todd VanderRoof hated it. Mo Ryan hated it. Alan Steppenwall hated it. No, sorry, actually, I don't know how Todd felt. but I know that Alan Steppenwall hated it. Uh, and several other uh, prominent people hated it. Um, I will say that, look, guys, I know that it's funny. Some people had some really great jokes about the slap. Like somebody put up a a fake poster for it with Je- with Zachary Quinto saying, um, "I did. I never knew that my slaps could send people back into time." The slap, mm-hmm. or like, um, so I think it was Al Shipley who said, uh, "It's appropriate that." the slap is taking parenthood slot because parenthood could have been solved, could have solved so many of its problems with slapping. Um But yes, this is all very funny, but you know, give NBC a little bit more credit on this one. Just a teensy little more credit.
0: Yeah. And it's just like, like I like the narration. It's one of the things that everybody seems to, to hate. I like the music. I'm sorry guys. I'm tired of using everybody using the exact same kind of jazz in the exact same kind of way. And I think they do change up the music when it's a different perspective. The second episode's music felt quite a bit different, uh, for me in general. Like so there all these things were just like did we watch the same We did. We did watch the same two episodes. I don't know.
2: Yeah, I mean it's on the last uh sort of cinema we recorded we got into this big debate about well not debate, just sort of thing about film criticism and um whether or not people should get paid to do it that's a whole other thing but um you know this this notion of critics uh enjoying getting a perverse glee out of taking things down i'm not sure if that's what's happening in this case um but i i do wonder if it had a different title and not been on nbc which everyone loves to make fun of because it's nbc and it's a goddamn constant train wreck which is funny uh but you know sometimes i wonder if people are uh are, are not being charitable enough and it's a weird it's a weird thing for me to say not to criticize other people for whom this is their day job but you know yeah i'm just wondering i'm just trying to account for this uh obvious gap in experience yeah with the show and I, I i it's not easy
0: yeah and all the the oh look it's more white people with problems or just like okay you realize that was that's what a lot of tv is like that's what else would you call the affair
2: yeah. Yeah, I don't know why the affair got a free got got a free pass and this didn't. Yeah. Uh, is it because it was showtime? I don't know. Yeah. Uh is it because there was boobs? I don't know. Yeah. But uh yeah. Anyway, Anyways. it's all but like it, it goes to show you like how infrequently the consensus breaks down mm-hmm. and how much it stresses us when it does.
0: Yeah. But I want to hear from more of our listeners. If you watch the slap, I want to know what you think. I want to know if it's just if it is literally just the two of us on this limb or if there's more of a split in the viewing community. Um. Anyways, uh, moving on. We I also talked Dick Van Dyke show on uh, on Twitter a bit with with Andy Greg Nelson and Mario. So I wanted to mention that Damien says I hope someone has the Killing the Danish version for the DVD shelf so you'll see how awesome Sarah Lund is. My she's my favorite TV character after Scully. Damien is currently doing an X Files uh, rewatch. I want to say, um, and and after seeing some Fortitude, which obviously has the the lead actress from the Danish The Killing on it. Uh, I'm even more interested to watch that one than I was before.
2: Yeah, I'm hoping that it's not that much like The American Killing, to be honest.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Uh, well, we'll see. Hopefully somebody at some point will pick it, and then we'll get to, to report back. And my last thing here is a very heartfelt uh, Happy Valentine's Day to my favorite tropical fish, Beth. Because, of course, Valentine's Day was this past week. I am looking forward to a delayed Valentine's Day come this, sometime this week. Always enjoy uh, talking with Beth, so I wanted to mention that here. Um, anything going on at Sound On Sight that we should mention? You you said there's new sort of cinema up. Any other uh, Sound On Sight business we should mention?
2: The uh, I know that the, the the Nintendo list is up. The uh, the top 100, I think it is uh, Nintendo games of all time, which uh, I know that was a product of fierce voting and writing. Uh, so everyone should check that out if you uh, are into video games. I'm not really, uh, mostly because. I would need to clone myself to have the time and money uh to devote myself to it but uh b- by all means check that out beyond that uh we should I think get started because there's just there's so it, it's the it's the winter of death basically. it is the
0: winter it's a slow march Towards death But they Fortunately were laughing Our asses off Along the way Because it's again Another fantastic week In comedy So uh, we'll take a, a quick break And come back uh, And to, to, to take us Into the comedy section How about a nice Little uh, selection From our favorite New Shantas uh, We'll be right back After this Forget your troubles Come on Get happy You better chase
1: All your cares away <laughs> Hallelujah, Come on Get happy Get ready for the judging day.
0: This week in comedy, uh, well, first, actually, I'm going to start with just a tiny bit of reality talk, because Top Chef had its finale, and then we're going to dive in with the comedies. Uh, I'm going to mention Fresh Off the Boat, The Shunning and Success Perm, then Last Week Tonight is back. That thought that was worth a mention. And then we'll dive in with Jane the Virgin, Chapter 13, Archer, Sinning, Adventure Time, The Visitor, and The Mountain, and... No, we'll okay. I have no idea what happened on Adventure <laughs> Time this week, but we'll we'll break that down in a bit. Broad City hashtag FOMO Parks and Rec Ms. Ludgate Dwyer goes to Washington and Pie Mary. Then man seeking woman together uh, Togetherness kick the can. Looking looking for truth and girls sit in. It's a roller coaster of emotion this week in our week in comedy. Uh, first it sure uh, is. Top Chef had its finale. It was an excellent finale. The food looked amazing and but more than that the the narrative of it, you know, it's very well crafted. I appreciate a well crafted cuz I know at this point we're educated enough viewers to know how scripted so much of the reality competition shows that we watch are at least in the um the editing and the 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 talking heads that they use and how they steer those, you know, narratives. And it was very well done. The the both Uh, I always like a reality competition show where both people do a good job in the last you know like in the in the final when somebody just has a bad day that always kind of makes it a bit deflating so it was nice to see these two go sort of head to head and watch the discussion uh, of the judges but yeah that's a meal I would have loved to have been at uh, even though I don't eat most of the foods that they served but I would have made an exception because it looked amazing and I want that dessert by May. Anyways, uh, let's, let's move on. So Top Chef wins my week re- in reality, or if we include everything, the four seasons of the British Bake Off Great British break-off that I watched in the past couple weeks, that Four would win, too. Uh, let's move on to comedy, though. Fresh Off the Boat it had its um, sec- third and fourth episodes this week. It's airing two a week right now. It's on Tuesdays. You haven't had a chance to catch up with it yet, but I just wanted to mention it again because I'm I'm really glad that it got such positive reviews. I am not sure what the ratings are, but I'm hoping that ABC sticks with this show because just for Constance Wu and Randall Park who are great. The kids are great. I really liked in Success Perm when they bring in the cousin from DC who comes down to visit who's the the kid who introduced Eddie to hip hop. Only now he's into Nirvana. So watching watching uh, Eddie have to deal with his cool older cousin like having abandoned hip hop in favor of grunge. It's just just it was wonderful. It was a nice little subplot, and I'm, I'm sure when you get it around to it, you will get a kick out of that as well, Simon.
2: I, I'm really looking forward to getting into Fresh Off the Boat, and I love that they send Danny Brown checks every week for his theme song. That is just fantastic news.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's a, they've done really well. <laughs> Last Week Tonight is back with two strong episodes right off the bat, having so much fun. Just in case anybody had missed that it's back, it's back, and it's it's fabulous. Um, their how is the sports Illustrated swimsuit edition still a thing? <sighs> beautiful
2: and it's one of those like I haven't gotten to the episode yet, but that has occurred to me like in my own time, and i've never I never thought to articulate it in quite that way, and that that's been one of the strengths of the show is that their, their writers are so keyed into like what are the things that we just take as as granted that are completely fucked up? But mm-hmm. they've just been, but they're just institutions at this point, so we don't really notice. They're really good at that.
0: They are very good at it. Um, let's dive in, though. Let's move swiftly on, because Jane the Virgin, Chapter 13, shit got real this week. Uh, and it was one of their best episodes yet.
2: Yeah, I keep waiting for them to stumble, like seriously stumble on stuff. And like, for, it's...
0: for a moment... As I was finishing watching this, uh, and of course I was talking with you right after I finished watching it, the very end of the episode almost made me think that, and you're like, ah, don't forget, he's got a brother. Yes. So, so I was like, faith restored. Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, I had the same thing, and then I, read, uh, oh yeah. I don't remember when they mentioned the brother.
0: That's how he knew that, that's how Raphael knew that the Petra was having an affair with him, with Roman. Because she said the name of the brother, and Raphael had never told her the name of the brother.
2: Ah, right. Okay. Um, what I find uh, interesting—I am going to get a little bit critical here—is that like I, I still think there's a little bit too much narration and intertitling going on in terms of recapping stuff. I, th- I think it's a little strange that we get so much recapping and yet no reminder of the brother. Um. Which just left both of us confused, and we've been watching very closely for 13 weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I don't know, just the, the, the choice of emphasis in what they are and aren't recapping seems a little bit off, but I'm getting really nitpicky here, because otherwise this was really, really great.
0: Well, and I think it's because they want you to think that, oh, Zaza's not dead, for like a week. And then they're going to tell you, us. I think they're going to tell us at the start of the next episode that, look, it's his brother, oh, did you not remember? Uh, so I think they're intentionally trying to, <laughs> trying to screw with the audience, and okay it's confusing but whatever that's fine uh when when the rest of your episode is i mean the i got serious i tweeted this out i got serious uh felicity and alias girl chick music uh feels when jane starts like a google spiral of all the terrible things that could be happening with her baby i was just like super verklempt and like emotional watching that it was such a it was such an excellent use of the on-screen text combined with performance from gina rodriguez and music choice and timing and all of it it was it was really powerful
2: am i the only one who's like kind of hoping they just go like super ballsy with it and make the kid intersex or something anyway that would be a whole other kettle of fish um but for now i think the way that this episode handles and it doesn't actually resolve anything. Like nothing's resolved at the end of the episode, except that uh we get to spend a whole lot more time uh with her and seeing her and Raphael actually working, and 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 I think more importantly, him working with the family. And then being like, "No, this is a terrible idea." He's like, "No, this is a great idea," and <laughs> that whole back and forth, and they yeah. never really agree on it. But you usually get to see them working kind of as a unit, which I think is is important, and I think. At this point, if you can't see, if you if you're if if you're still in the back of your head being like, but Michael's the real one, then I can't help you.
0: <laughs> well, and you know what I really lo- love about this is, aside from the fact that it's very powerful and it gives them really uh, substantial moments. It's, again, excellent performances all around from the cast, but that they th- th- this is this is real drama. This is real shit. This mm. we don't need the scheming at the soap opera. When you can do something like this, Uh, it's so much more effective. I love a tiny little moment when Jane feels the baby move and she tells Raphael and you can, you can, you can feel just in that, like the way he breathes out, just how terrified he was as well. But he wasn't letting that out because he needed to be calm for her. Like Mm -hmm. a little detail like that just goes so well. Just like brings, makes it all come together.
2: Yeah. So anyway, we're over the halfway point of the season and I'm almost ready to stop waiting for the other two to drop. I'm almost there.
0: Yeah, I do have to mention the um, two more things about this episode that I really loved. I loved the graduation scene. And like you say, it's nice that for once Raph knows her and how she'll react better than, than they do. Um, and knows it better than she does because she's like, oh, this is stupid," but she loves it. You know, it's, it's great. Yeah. Um, so that scene was just wonderful. I loved the like the three women talking again. This is the heart of the show, as far as I'm concerned, and it was a lovely scene. And then also, Michael figures out that it's Rose the week after we do.
2: How yes. refreshing was that? Yeah, that's great. But I I have to rewind a little bit and say that as great as as all the Jane stuff was, I. I definitely caught the most feels from Abuela this week. Yeah. So, yeah. Oof, yeah. Credit for that.
0: That is a part of the show that they could easily just never touch on. But when, you know, this is episode 13 and they finally, this is our first significant conversation about him, about about uh, uh, Jane's grandfather. And it's just such a beautiful weight and very honest feeling way to bring it in. Now, of course, Cheech Marin's going to be back. You don't cast Cheech Marin to have him yeah. wave so I'm I'm looking forward to following that. Uh, any final thoughts on Jane this week, or shall we move on to a different kind of baby drama?
2: Yeah, let's do that.
0: So Archer had sitting, and this is one of the most fun episodes of the season so far. As far as I'm concerned, I've really loved they brought in Camille Nanjiani, so so great. The King Kong thing with Pam was hilarious. I mean, how did this one work for you?
2: Uh, it was really good. Uh, I'm I'm a little bit I'm still wondering when they're gonna bring back wee baby Sheamus to I have know, like, right? a baby off. They didn't play uh, or date. Something. Uh, although I guess Seamus would now be like three or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, which we haven't even seen him. And he's like I don't really know how the March of Time happens in Archer. Uh or if it even happens. But uh yeah, I don't know. I, I just I we need more I guess you know like, we toddler Seamus. Yeah. We we tyke Seamus? anyway, doesn't matter. <laughs> uh that stuff is great. I predicted at the start of the year that Camille Nangiani would be uh our 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 sixth man this year. Mm-hmm uh and it's it's panning out cuz he's already been in everything and he's he's great here um know, the whole conceit of the episode is very fun it's uh w- and, and and also like archers like as as much as they do you know big adventure episodes a lot and they're super fun uh so often when it's just multiple characters riffing in one space for most of an episode that's usually the best ones
0: yeah i think you know basically it worked they they can i like, i did not know what to think at first like the 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 twist or whatever really worked on me uh the the end of episode <laughs> reveal also really worked on me uh it was it was nice and it's it, it's fun to see the group come together over something so like coming up together over the baby you know, really worked for me did 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 they trick you
2: um i i'm sure i would not be able to admit if a cartoon tricked me <laughs> With its plot twist, so I'm just going to plead the fifth on this one.
0: Okay, well then let's uh, move on to another cartoon that tricked us, at least uh, me, a bit. Because I have no idea what the fuck just happened this week. Uh, Excuse my language, please. Uh, uh, So Adventure Time, last week had The Visitor, which was a really fun episode. We didn't talk about it on the podcast last week. This week they had The Mountain, uh, the first Lemon Grab episode in a while. And I have no clue what happened. I just really (laughs) liked the ride.
2: I feel like, okay, if I had to guess what happened this week, I feel like the writers were like, so, what's going on in that guy's head? Like, how do you become Lemon Grab? And then they decided to not really answer that question, but to make it seem as if they were gonna? I don't know. That's the best option I can come up with. Uh, And then, or maybe they had a word challenge, and they were like, okay, one of you has ten minutes to come up with an episode where somebody throws in the word ziggurat. And (laughs) Go. That's my that's my other best guess. Anyway, uh, this was super fun. No, like you, no idea what it means really. Um, whenever they go into the Lemon Kingdom, uh, they usually come out with something memorable, and I guess this this was just. And also, I, I like that they they really like they used to overuse Lemon Grab. I feel like, and now they trot him and Justin Roiland's insane voice out every twelve to fifteen episodes, and that's just right.
0: Well, and and when they bring him in, it's because they're gonna focus on him instead of just like sort of having him in the background of like banquet scenes and things in the Candy Kingdom. It's I feel like this is the peak way to use uh, <laughs> Lemon Grab, and, and and I I'm trying to remember. I know that I've seen that mountain before on the show. uh is this our second time there?
2: The Mountain of Matthew, I uh, you I mean you've done a series rewatch more recently than I have, uh so you'd be the one to say I. I love the, I don't know who's doing the voice of Matthew, but I really like the voice work and the, the whole, the keeping Jake out with the sort of laconic guard. Yeah. is really great. Um, I like that they still found about 45 seconds for Finn pining over Flame Princess, because uh, they just love, that's their favorite note of, of the whole show is Finn pining, uh, which is fine. Um, and I like it, that it's just sort it's of sent like, it off into one corner.
0: It's not like he's trying to give. Back together or anything, but just like it's still a little tender yeah. there about that. It's a little sensitive about it. You know, yeah, that was that was fun. He's like,
2: I just I, I just gotta work. Just give me a thing. Yeah, just give me give me a quest now.
0: Yeah, no, it was good. It was so much fun. Any thoughts on uh, the return of Stephen Root as Finn's dad?
2: Uh oh yes, from last week. uh No, still fun. I loved him. I love Finn just sending him off. Just like nope, not dealing with a spy. Shooting him <laughs> off in a rocket was a was a fantastic move, and um. I feel like I had something else to mention. Those little uh, dudes were adorable. Uh little dudes were adorable, kind of reminiscent of the little guys from Mud- Princess Mononoke, um which is always good. And uh last thing I wanted to mention is that this week we got the return of Sword Finn, which is still really creepy.
0: Super creepy, but Finn seems to be way more cool th- And Sword Finn seems totally chill too. You know. Yeah,
2: see, now I'm just imagining that Swordfin is, like, the little uh, the little AI that isn't actually AI helper from Black Mirror.
0: Oh, my gosh, yeah. Oh, that's terrifying. Ooh. Delightful. On that creepy, creepy thought, let's move on to Broad City, hashtag FOMO, and just, like, can we just <laughs> take a moment to appreciate and enjoy the wonder that is Val?
2: You know, the rest of the episode is fine. The rest um, of the episode
0: is good. It's fun. Yeah, I... You know,
2: the, the, like, at first it seems like they're just going to go for this sort of Scorsese after hours feel of just, like, one long rambling night where it just gets wackier and wackier. And that would have been a perfectly acceptable premise for an episode, but then they just completely derail it with the Val thing in the mm-hmm. most delightful way.
0: Yeah. No, that's just, I mean, and I love, because uh, cause I feel like, uh, especially when you look at last season, um, between Abby and Alana, Alana got just so much Bigger, broader things to play. She got to be wacky and crazy and everything. And Alana, and Abby was always the straight woman for the most part. And I love how much room they've given both characters this season to really, you know, try new things and and <laughs> go big. I lo- I was talking with you when I was watching the episode. I love how the show just embraced pixelated nudity this season. Yes. They're like, yep, whatever. You've already, it's like the entire crew has seen me dance around naked in the apartment set, so why not flash the camera?
2: Yeah, I feel like that's happened in almost every episode now. A lot of pixelated nudity this week in general, actually. Uh, Some of it more human than others. Um, But, uh, yeah, but I mean, it's really, it's all about the Val sequence. Um, Oh, my God. First of all, I love that it's based on, I was, uh, I think it was on, I forget whether it was on Twitter or not, but um, Abby Jacobson was talking about how when she was in university, she actually did, whenever she got blackout drunk, she would become uh, someone named Val. I don't think they were a lounge singer, <laughs> uh, but she definitely did have uh, an, an alternate a persona. personality. A persona of which she had no memory. Uh, so there is it is kind of coming from a place of truth. Uh, that being said, I think the execution of that sequence with the long takes and the Mostly elderly crowd and the barkeep who's like, she's been coming here for hundreds of years. No, like three years. (laughs) (laughs) Like sort of that has sort of a a pleasantly sort of shining ass quality that I really dug. And hey, she's not she's not terrible.
0: No, 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 no. And like that, just like I just wanted a couple of the the held notes to not go flat in pitch when she was. So I was watching it going like, "I just like these two notes, just fix these two notes. (laughs) And then it's perfect. But really the quality of the timbre of sound that she's going for works so well. I mean, I was getting a a serious like um, later Judy Garland feel off of it, which is I Mm -hmm. think what they're going for. And it really works very well. And it's just like, aren't you a hot diggity dog and a scallywag to boot? I mean, just like the delivery of that was just beautiful. It was great, yeah. and and then just Alana again, her joyful Valbar is Narnia. It was just, and she's so excited the next day, and you know, I mean, it's just yeah. wonderful.
2: Uh, I I would say I would rather have a couple of flat notes than like blatant auto tuning or something like that, which oh, well, would yeah. killed would have killed the sequence. Oh, totally. Anyway, fantastic sequence. Otherwise, fine episode. Uh, I would say on the whole, not as impactful as last week, but still, they're having a fucking really good season.
0: They are. Fabulous season over at Broad City. Uh, let's also having a fabulous season, Uh, final season is Parks and Rec, Ms. Ludgate, Ms. Ludgate, Ms. Ludgate, Ms. Ludgate Dwyer. It does not, it's not. No, it's really
2: not. a. I think that's why they did it.
0: Ms. Ludgate Dwyer goes to Washington, and and Pi Mary are the episodes this week. Really liked them both, I, and I enjoy how last week you were talking about. Okay, but when are they gonna just? They need to just get move past this April thing because it's been long enough. And this week they do. Uh, yes, right, right after you called for it. So I thought that was really nice. I liked I liked the timing of that very April and um, and Leslie centric episode airing during Valentine's week. That was nice. Uh, and then we I mean we got to talk about about uh um primary because i mean just i just loved it so much
2: (laughs) primary was almost certainly my favorite parks episode in probably two seasons uh i'm not i mean i have very little memory of last season to be honest except for the very ending Mm -hmm. because it just it felt so aimless to me uh the previous season i think was probably fine uh but didn't have a lot of standouts this to me was like an instant standout uh partially because it was hilarious and sweet and partially because the MRA takedown was just so beautiful to watch um although when you remember that the show takes place what is it 2017 is it yeah. 2 years in the future um the notion that MRA types are if anything going to be more prominent and take up more of the cultural conversation is depressingly probably pretty accurate mm-hmm. um so uh but yeah her her like um there's a line in in jay-z's the takeover where he's talking about um you know someone who hates him and he says you don't even get half a bar fuck y'all that that <laughs> was what that, this was the, the the mra slamming speech equivalent of of jay-z in the takeover so that's my rap genius knowledge for the moment um yeah that was that was an amazing moment
0: that's not a thing. Just shut up. That's not a thing. Yeah,
2: you're nothing. You're nothing. <laughs> you're nothing. <laughs>
0: next, next one was just great. Um, but also just the the construction of, of that. I mean, and we all love Leslie, but it's great to see how perfect she and Ben are together mm-hmm. in that. She's like, um, actually, no, my my wife is Ms. Nope not mrs it's like and I love how it's not just like she's this really uh, strong female character really independent person but it's also she has the perfect partner for her which is, is Ben so having him just as much if not more annoyed than she is works really great i thought they did a good job of bringing back the Kellsown thing it was a little heavy-handed <laughs> maybe but it's always been I, always been the case with the Calzone joke on Parks and Rec, uh, but I mean really, Catherine Hahn is just she's really trying to s- sew up that uh, best guest appearance, and uh, end of the year nomination because I mean, Poncho, <laughs> <laughs> it was just fabulous.
2: If you were to to get together, I think if if you were you could make a case for if you look at everything she's guested on over the last like five years from this to Girls to. A million other things I'm probably forgetting. She's got maybe the best guesting C V uh of anyone. Although that's that, that's contentious.
0: Um let's move on to our, our next episode here. That's Man Seeking Woman Scissorp. Uh and uh this we're talking about notable guest performances. I think Minka Kelly is great in this.
2: Um there's there's two notable guests in this episode. Uh the first one we get is Yorma Tacone. Um mm-hmm. in his second guest appearance in two weeks. Uh, where he uses the word trill uh, on two different shows. So, clearly, the Lonely Island is strong in this one. Um, and his performance as Cupid is, as I think, really funny. But you're right, it's all about uh, Minka Kelly and her... Uh, you know, she's like we, we, what we, I'm sure we talked about, about Friday Night Lights and how uh, her character there was probably, like, in the five least interesting in any given season. Uh, but I don't think that was necessarily her fault, and I think that her... Uh, her sort of no-nonsense, deadpan response to uh, the most ridiculous events we've gotten on the show so far is a really nice mix.
0: What made me really enjoy the first two episodes of this show uh, and really uh, really connect with the show and be willing to give it the benefit of the doubt is just how heightened it got. So it's not some bad guy, it's Hitler. And the text conference is like this giant, enormous thing – so they they've not been going as big in the last few episodes and it's been diminishing returns for me. I've, it's sort of heightened other uh, my awareness of other problems I have with the show. When they go giant talking penis monster, Japanese penis monster here, it works for me again and again I'm laughing because it the more ridiculous these heightened elements are, the and and then paired with a very subdued deadpan performance from like we get here from Mika Kelly, the more uh, I think the inherent comedy of the premise shines.
2: Yeah, it's almost like the dumber it sounds on paper, the better it works. Yeah, uh, like there's like if if you were a script editor and you got to giant purple uh, Japanese penis monster that only says Tanaka uh, over and over, you think this is so hacky and dumb and broad. Can we not do this? But it but it it's it's by far like one of the better. Premises they've actually gone with, so go figure. Um, As for Tanaka, I actually thought that the character design was great. Uh, The use of Tanaka, Tanaka, Tanaka was one of those classic, funny, not funny, now funny again Mm -hmm. premises. Uh, Didn't really need the constant uh, ejaculation thing happening, especially at the end. Just, just no, no, no. That was men seeking woman has a habit of taking its jokes one step too far. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed that, but that was the step. Um, but we, I think we should also talk about uh, the trajectory of the show and yes. our 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 potential lack of patience with it.
0: Yeah, I'm. It's starting to test my patience a bit because as much as I enjoy an episode like this. Um, I'm starting to get frustrated with the show, and I was I was out of town this week, so uh, Vicar Murphy, one of our friends of the show, covered it for me over at the AB Club, so I didn't have to review this episode, um, and I'll be back reviewing it next week uh, over there. But I was glad to to get to take the week off because as much as I do enjoy this episode, I'm already starting to get frustrated with just how how much the show is dragging its feet with its pro- the, with with Josh and his growing awareness. Uh, self-awareness and his maturity level because it seems like the show's heart is in the right place and that it's interested in exploring this character and watching him come to new levels of awareness and maturity and then at the end of the show he's going to have a much healthier relationship uh with dating and and the in women and all of that but right now um josh is a character that doesn't respect women He's not going out of his way to, like, you know, be abusive or anything, but he has no interest in them as people, and he, he, he objectifies all the women that we see him with, except for his sister. But even his sister... Well, thankfully. He, yeah. Even his sister... <laughs> no, but not even just sexualism, but he just turns them into yeah. an object. So he doesn't really care about his sister's opinion, for the most part. Every time he asks for her for advice, he ignores it, and then actually thinks it's not very good. Um... But but every other woman we see him interact with, like, for example, here, Whitney, he's going out with this this gorgeous woman. He knows nothing else about her and doesn't care, even though theoretically they've been dating for a while. Um, and so when, so, so the only thing that matters to him is that she's attractive. And if that's, you know, hey, a great way to start, and then, oh, oh and she's nice and she's cool, too. I think that would have worked with the premise of what they're exploring, like the jealousy and the insecurity and all that. But they don't do that, because he literally does not care about any of... He does not respect as individuals any of the women we see him interact with. Um, right. And deconstructing that nice guy idea in that way, I think, is really interesting. But if that's where it's going, and it seems with last week and this week, it seems like that might be where they're going. They're just taking a really, really long time to do that.
2: Yeah, it's almost as though they think that as soon as he is uh, well-adjusted, the the show is over. <laughs> yeah. So it's like... Are we, are we really going to spend the whole time doing this? I mean, I think that the show has this weird sense of tunnel vision where every week it's about one thing, and it does that one thing really well. Um, you know, this notion of uh, you only care that she's attractive. Uh, maybe it's not working otherwise, uh, or, like, maybe you're, the fact that you're only thinking about this uh, is damaging. It does that aspect really well. But in doing that aspect well, it do, it messes up a bunch of other stuff and doesn't care. Yeah. And and in in a week like this where it's actually funny, I'm willing to forgive that uh somewhat because I'm laughing and that's you know job number 1 of any comedy. Uh but it would be nice if it could multitask, especially because you know we've had this has been a season of like amazing progressive comedy. Mm-hmm. Um especially with with Broad City and what happened with Parks this week. Uh it would be nice if they could just accelerate that progression a little bit uh, yeah. on the show because then it could be funny and uh, and formally daring and progressive that would be that would be something wouldn't it
0: well and it gives these beats or these lines to Liz to say and then has her say them in the most annoying way possible she's like adjusting her glasses she goes, well maybe don't you think that it's like <laughs> so they can't make it less appealing so like yeah it's it's I can't tell if they're mocking that perspective or if they think that that perspective is correct and valid but he's not listening to it because of where it's coming from like i can't tell exactly what they're doing with that but it's starting to get frustrating where every time they seem aware of that perspective they give it to liz but they make the delivery of it or the the packaging around it discredit the message itself
2: i i almost wonder if we're gonna have to wait till next season for them to make these the adjustments that we want, if there is going to be a next season. I don't know if anyone's been, been watching it.
0: And just because we uh, want these adjustments doesn't mean that they do. <laughs>
2: that's true, yeah. And, like, I don't know if... Yeah, I don't know if they have if they have the impetus to change or, or want to or, or are taking feedback, but uh, if you're accepting feedback... Anyway, um, <laughs> but the... Uh, I'm trying to accentuate the positive and see, like, this is... Like, they're doing stuff that no one else is doing and it's mostly working. Uh, it's just too bad that... The show is so daring in some ways and so conservative in others. It's, it's, we like the show. We talk about it more than anyone else is probably watching it uh, because I think there's stuff that's worth exploring and worth saving.
0: Yeah. We, when we, when we get frustrated with a with show that we talk about in the podcast, the only reason we're talking about it in the podcast is because we're interested in it or like it or think it's worthy of discussion. Uh, yes. So we want it to be better and we think it can be. <laughs> so yes, I think,
2: uh, I think the, the, the top notch version of this show is amazing.
0: Yeah. Just, yeah.
2: We haven't seen it yet.
0: Not yet. But hopefully it'll keep improving. Um, next up is Togetherness Kick the Can. Uh, last week we said they had their best episode yet. I think this is the best episode of the season, Have you seen the entire season. Uh, what did you think of Kick the Can?
2: This is the best episode of the season? Okay. Um, I, I, I've been going week to week. I have all the episodes, but I've been going week to week with it because I don't want to do it like I've been doing with everything else and forget. Uh, it's okay. Uh, the uh, the whole conceit of the episode is cute, but the the whole, the execution of the of the closing sequence was just a little bit too uh, cute indie film twee for me. Um, the, the the actual last shot with the exchange of looks was was nice, but the musical sequence with people getting I know that the moment isn't working because all I can think about is they're not respecting the rules of kick the can right now. <laughs> that's where my brain goes during that sequence so that means it's not connecting uh the way the way that it should melanie linsky is great on this show uh, it's it's so great to, to see her get all this stuff to do uh but other than that it didn't really connect for me
0: yeah it really did for me the the triumphant moment her triumphant moment really they they nailed that as far as i was concerned i like i like the low stakes perfect day that we get from brett uh which is like i'm gonna go to the bookstore and read a book that's my perfect SMT. day
2: you're gonna read dune specifically
0: dune yeah yeah no i and again the the specificity of it it's barnes and noble it's not like anywhere it's he. want there's a chair in all barnes and noble that he wants to sit in and read one of his favorite books. I, I really like that. I like um Amanda Peet's character coming up and be like, no, do you think I want to be here? No, I'm drunk. That's what you do.
2: <laughs> yeah, I'm dead inside. Yeah. Um. I I don't really know if I needed. I, I've I've been enjoying Peter Gallagher on the show, but I don't know if they needed to give him a little dog. That was a bit much.
0: It's yeah, but I I enjoyed it. I thought I think he sells it uh pretty well. Um. So yeah, I'm gonna be curious what you think of the, the next the rest of the season here because uh for I guess I guess the. The energy of it really worked for me, and um, the way it comes together and culminates, that that sense of triumph was very successful for me. And so it's going to be uh, not as clear-cut emotions, probably, moving forward.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, th- I guess to me it's just, it's so clear, to me at least, watching the, the HBO's three shows, uh, that there's looking in girls, and then... A strata below that, there's togetherness, and even on a week like this where it's, I think, fairly strong, it's just not the same level.
0: Yeah, and I would agree with that because look, I mean, just look at these episodes. We have looking, looking for truth, and after the, you know, heart grinder of an episode of last week, this one was a really, I needed it. I needed this after last week. Uh, what, what did you think of? It? We spend the day basically with with uh, Richie and 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 uh, Patrick. How did this work for you?
2: Uh, This was just a a really lovely episode. I love everything we got with Richie's family and just the little notes Mm of...
0: of, Oh, this this is the guy? guy? This is the gringo? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
2: That stuff was all great. I thought it was really impressive that we got an entire episode with no Dom and no Lynn. Nothing with them. And I wasn't thinking... like I I noticed it afterwards, but I wasn't thinking, where are Dom and Lynn? They're so great. Uh, The fact that we get an episode that's... I mean, a season ago we didn't care about Patrick, we didn't care about Augustine, and they're the only ones who get any screen time this week out of the original gang. Um, you know, we spend time with Russell Tovey alone. When we hang up with Kevin, I assume that was all we were going to get, and the fact that we do get a scene of him and his uh, and his partner before the shit goes down, like, that was a, a really poignant decision.
0: Yeah, no, it was, it was again, they, they're, the way that they're handling all these relationships uh, through this season of looking... I mean, this is what we were hoping for, right? We as we got to the end of yeah. of 2014, we're like, "What's the show that you think can make the leap?" We, I, I said, looking, I th- I think that it can make the leap, and I really want to see the next gear of this show. And I think it's been consistently at that place all all season. Um, it's been a wonderful first five episodes. We're out of screeners. I want to watch screeners. I want to watch um, the next one right now. But
2: yeah, the uh, and I I wanted to specifically mention uh, Raul Castillo. Because I think this week was, a, I think, his best showcase yet because he, he has this sense of rage that is just under the surface that never really comes out. But you can tell that he's, he's so knotted up with all this family stuff and so tense. And like Patrick says, he's so stubborn. And watching him sort of get get prodded out of that comfort zone uh, periodically by Patrick, uh, I think all those scenes just work so beautifully. Uh, and i love the detail of them having this uh, this this uh dreaded conversation punctuated by kids showing up <laughs> and wanting drumsticks
0: <laughs> yeah it was a really yeah and just watching patrick start to realize some of the ways in which he he mistreated uh richie without even realizing it it's like like oh he borrowed money to have a suit that he could wear to the, this mm-hmm. family wedding like that's a really big deal for him yeah. and, and all i of love this that d-
2: when i love that when he brings up the suit uh richie's response to be like oh she's not getting that money back
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh that's yeah no it's it's you know and and yet nothing's changed right no so so the as much as you could watch this and be like oh we want these two to get back together it's like Patrick is still the same guy who was like, "Oh, you don't want you're just gonna be a hairdresser your whole life. you're gonna be a barber your whole life and that's it. You don't want to have your own shop you like he's still the same guy who if they got back together, he would just immediately be needling him to be more ambitious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like it the same exact problems are still there. Yeah. It's great.
2: yeah, uh, it's all great and like to me like it's I don't want to hammer on this, but like to me whatever I watch looking like the, the depth of of feeling. And the, specific, the specificity of emotion, it's just so much greater than on a show like Togetherness. I don't mean to keep slamming Togetherness, but I, I hear people talk about it more than I mm-hmm. do Looking, and it's confusing to me. Again, maybe it's a demographic issue.
0: No, it's just, people just aren't watching, looking. They're not giving it uh, a chance. And it's really, I don't get it. Because I think this is one of those best shows you're not watching or that you haven't watched uh, a lot of people don't even know it exists, and yeah. certainly they might have heard something about it once, but yeah, people just aren't aware of it and aren't certainly aren't giving it the benefit of the doubt. And you should, because it's awesome.
2: Yeah. Uh, All right, we've done our due diligence.
0: Okay, let's move on to girls. Sit in, and uh, they pick up. We pick up pretty much right where we left off. Um, <laughs> I kind of I have to enjoy the casting of Gillian Jacobs in this role because I love how she kind of Britta's. All over their relationship. <laughs> I love just the, the what they give her Mimi Rose character as her like keynote speech. I mean, I, it was so so much fun to watch Hannah watch it. It's like oh, way to use heretofore. to Really here to four. We're gonna use yeah. okay. It, like it's, it's it's just such fun, um, self aware casting and and like the little details of the character that I, that do feel like they're specific to Jacobs. Um, that being said, as great as this episode is, I do really like it. I think we might have reached the level of meta where I'm I'm getting annoyed. Uh,
2: when you're talking about meta, like what what specific aspects of the episode are you thinking about in terms of meta criticism?
0: They don't feel like they're talking to each other. At a certain point, they feel like they're talking to the audience. And uh, you know, so when we have Marnie saying, "Oh, did you did you but did you really think you were a forever couple?" It's mm-hmm. like I do not believe Marnie saying that to Hannah. I believe. Lena Dunham saying that or the producers and writers saying that to the audience and be like kind of like and and there's a level of like sort of passive aggressive scolding to that that is frustrating as a viewer because like you know why some of us thought that you were really committed as a show to this couple because you've always been that and that's what you've always shown us so don't be Mm -hmm. condescending to the viewer about feeling like being feeling like this is a really big shock or surprise that they're going to just break up with so little warning um, after you laid the groundwork for that over three seasons. Um,
2: I don't know if I took it as condescending necessarily. I think that um, I can't judge this yet. I think it's going to depend mm-hmm. on what they do with it. Uh, it like if this really is um, a title change and this is what's happening now. I mean, to me, it sort of has to be because the way that the way that scene happens when he uh, which, by the way, that scene is beautifully written and acted. And like I uh, I have lived something close to that moment. But um, when Adam is talking about his relief, um, yeah, you know, his his unexpected relief at the situation, that that felt very real. Like that is a. That is an unguarded moment of brutal, horrible honesty, and it's going to be difficult to impossible for them to walk back from that without incurring my rage. <laughs> so I feel like they're, they they kind of have to commit to that at this point. It's going to be tricky for them to keep um, all these characters in the same orbit, especially considering Adam just seems to be totally fed up with everyone who isn't Mimi, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, uh, I can't really see how they have a future on the show now. So uh, it's I'll be very curious to see how they do that, and maybe it's just next season. There's no Adam. I don't know, but I don't see how you can walk back from that, at least not gracefully.
0: Well, yeah, and that's I think that's wait. When you say oh, maybe next season there's no Adam, like <laughs> I'm sorry, they're not gonna let Adam Driver go. He's too good. He's too good to the show. Like I don't. That's maybe that's what's causing the uh conflict for me is that right. I don't I don't believe them. I don't believe they're gonna write Adam off or that they're gonna take him out like so like they, they've very clearly set up that Adam and Jessa go to the same meeting, so there's reason for them to interact. But right. Adam Driver and Leon Dunham are really great together. They have great chemistry. They work really well off of each other. Um so I don't trust that they're not gonna just undo this in X number of episodes.
2: Yeah, I guess we'll have to see. I'm going I'm it's been a good enough season and been a good enough season and a half really that I'm willing to to follow them on this and see where mm-hmm. it goes. Um we don't really know if they're cuz I mean the show used to be uh, I think more risky than it is right now. Mm-hmm. Uh it has settled into this more comfortable and yet also more entertaining groove. Uh so I'll be curious to see how much they're willing to shake up the existing order of things. Yeah. Because uh, we really don't know. Even after, this is what I like, that even after three and a half seasons, I still don't know what the show is and isn't capable of, really. Uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm I'm choosing trust. I'm, I'm po- probably foolishly choosing trust.
0: <laughs> well, and we should talk a minute about the rest of the episode, all the other performances, uh, because I do think it's a really good episode. That's just... I'm just having a struggle with it because, you know, it, it, if you talk about this sh- on the podcast frequently, um, the level of uh, the relationship that viewers have with the show is often reliant upon trust of the showrunners and what kind of show it is and that, you know, establishing your world and sticking to it. Um, so aside from any of my potentially skeptic skeptical reaction to that element, um, I really liked the structure of this one. I thought it worked. Um, the stuff with Marnie, like... When she talks about woodshedding, I'm like, oh, honey, do you need, do you know what that <laughs> word means? Because I'm pretty sure you don't. I just, uh, you're, a, you're, you're a singer. I don't think you're drilling the same passage to make sure that you can play it in tune every time. It just doesn't, that's not, that's not who you are, Marnie.
2: <laughs> um, I. The structure of the episode is very schematic in terms of like let's let's get one character in at a time to handle the mm. situation or in the uh you know bring in John Glazer and Gabby Hoffman who's now pregnant on the show which is a nice touch. Um, we is, knew like, that. One at a... did we? Yeah, I forgot. Anyway, it's been a while. <laughs> uh, she's been another one of those people just being everywhere, mm-hmm. and all the characters sort of blend in my brain. But um, you know, just one at a time to to deal with with the situation as they see it. Uh, you know, it's, it's very rigid in that format, but I think it mostly works. Uh, I love Shoshana's entrance, and Zosha Mamet has just been straight, she's been the MVP, the clear MVP to me this season. Uh, And she's really just grown into that role so beautifully. Uh, I also love Jessa's just total tunnel vision approach to like, I'm sure I told you about this. I definitely, <laughs> I definitely distinctly remember the yeah. moment when I told you about this, and she clearly did not. Uh, that level of of delusion was just fantastic, and also her just sheer cold logic of the hot people go with the hot people. What do you want? It's the law of the jungle. Um, it was all it was all very like writerly and specific to the characters in a way that was very transparent. But I think the performances mostly made it work.
0: Well, and again, I mean, each of those interactions I thought really worked. I loved Shoshana in this episode. It was so much fun. Just and like, yes, that is what she needs right now. This is what Hannah needs. And this, clearly, Shana was the right person to be the first one there. Because Jessa was useless. Mm. Jessa was worse than useless. She she just made the entire thing about her anger at Hannah forever leaving. Uh, it's like, you introduced the man that I love <laughs> to someone else. And you're like, yeah, they would be great together. I mean, Marnie, when she is there, I think gives good advice and is helpful and all of that good stuff. And it was the right person for Adam to try to call. Um, but yeah, like it's the, it's the surprises that I think really worked. I, I like um, Shosh's insistence that they close the laptop. We shouldn't watch this. This is a bad idea. Um, as well as again, the surprise of having uh, John Glazer and Gabby Hoffman characters pop up. I think Ray also great. Can't help but make it a little bit about himself, but for the most part he, he does, he's, I, I, again, that character works so well with all these different people and has that slightly different perspective with just a little bit more age uh, and experience and all this stuff going on. Um, so, yeah, those were, you know, having it segmented this way, I thought it was, again, like you say, very writerly, but I do think it worked. And, um, yeah, I, I, it, it was it was a really uh, emotional, powerful episode. And the the final scene with uh, with Adam and Hannah does work, I think, very well. Um, so we'll see what happens next.
2: The final, final scene of, uh, Hannah in the storage space alone was really nice also.
0: Yeah. Well, what wins your week in comedy, sir?
1: Oh,
2: Jesus. Um, see, I want to say looking, but, uh, looking was the best thing I watched, but not the funniest. Uh, Parks and Rec's second episode, uh, uh, primary was probably my favorite as a comedy, uh, so I don't know, interpret from that.
0: There's some serious contenders this week, but I think I'm gonna have to give it to Jane. Just you know it's been a while and uh, they they got me with the feels this week, so I think I'll I think I'll go with that one. So the Jane the Virgin Award once again goes to Jane the Virgin. Now we'll take a break and we'll come back with our weekend genre and drama.
1: I'm lying alone with my head of you till it hurts I know you hurt too, but what else can we do tormented and torn apart I wish I could carry your smile in my heart for times when my
0: This week in genre and drama, I'm going to talk briefly about Arrow and Banshee, uh, and then we'll talk about the Babylon finale, episode 6, um, as well as Fortitude, uh, episode 4, which I think they're calling episode 3. I'm very uncertain about the titling. We'll talk about it. Then we have Justified Trash and the Snake, and then The Americans, Open House. Uh, but first, to kick things off, a little um, genre talk, I just wanted to mention Arrow, Canaries, because I really liked the way the use of the fear talks in here. Uh, I, I'm not huge on how frequently they seem to bring back Peter Stormare's character, or maybe just, I recognize him more because it's Peter Stormare. Um, uh, But I I think the, the fear toxin um, does work very well here. It was really great to see Sarah back. However, you know, briefly in whatever role, Uh, but that, that was very effective. I like that. We finally had forward progress, which is telling the, the, you know, telling her father and, and moving that forward. It's a bit, uh, obnoxious that they are telling Thea everything except you know, your father had you kill one of our friends. I feel like if on the realm of secrets to stop keeping, that's a big one, but that's just me. Um, otherwise, uh, the, again, I think it's working working well, and this was a one of the better episodes in quite a while. It's I like a Laurel episode, and um, I don't know if you've seen enough Arrow to have that mean anything to you, Simon, but it is a rarity.
2: Uh, I believe you.
0: <laughs> um, Banshee buried the dead also worked pretty well. I liked the re- I really liked the use of the, the flashback to the pilot and then bringing that actor back to shows this sort of like alternate reality road, not taken kind of um, the way the, the inserts of that, every, you know, interspersed throughout the episode I had just so much fun with, with Job. I mean, I just, I love that character of Job and they let him do so much while not overusing the character. It would be easy for that character to, Become the Sheldon, you know, or like the, the the Urkel, and I like that they just really use him effectively and sparingly. He's great in this episode. Uh, the stuff with Chayton, it's just like, dude, just shoot him already. I don't care about Chayton at all. I negative care about Chayton, and some of the time he's like choking another person, another woman to death, and she just can't shoot him because it's not who sh- whatever reason. Um, that character needs to needs to go. They're more interesting stories for them to tell, I think. Um, And uh, yeah, I just, there's a lot of this um, that side of this episode was less effective the hood side of this was much more effective for me uh, and again like I said any anything we get with Joe tends to be fabulous uh, and just awesome and really well done so I, I enjoyed that most of this episode I guess I'll say um, but let's move on to the episodes we've both seen including the finale for Babylon and this was one of the less satisfying finales I've watched in quite a while because it's not a finale as far as I'm concerned it's Let's kick the hornet's nest and just end the the episode. I mean, what? how did you feel about the turnaround here with Liz? Um, and uh, did are you invested in any of these relationships at this point? Or what did you think of this finale?
2: <laughs> you obviously aren't. Um, I think that uh, Babylon is such a strange show. I think that it does a lot of things really well that I didn't think that it would. And then does things that I thought it would do really well, not so well. Um, mm-hmm. I think the way that this, that the... Uh, the subplots converged in in the finale. I thought it was actually quite elegant. yeah, uh, you know, like like I spent the whole season like, why do we care about these two cops and the affair and, and and then also following around the the you know the journalist and the other cop and all that stuff. like I'm not really sure what the big picture here is and the way those converged in these last two episodes I thought was actually really uh, really nicely handled and not too uh, not too obvious um so i was really impressed with that and uh i think the way that they orchestrated the whole um strike that isn't a strike and i, I loved liz is just like wait you can just do that <laughs> you can just not it's like, yeah that's we can't strike but we can choose to not bring our guns it's like yeah. wow um that's i can I, I loved how just foreign that concept was to her um and there were there were quite a few uh balmos in this episode i liked the um the assistant uh superintendent talking about how um they took out her entrails and all had a good laugh and then she had to eat them. Um, That was, that was a great (laughs) moment. Um, (laughs) But um, I don't know. But then like you said, like the whole turnaround with Liz uh, and Patterson Joseph, I think was uh, some aspects of that were really well handled. His speech to the, to the cops I think was a really nice scene. And I think actually the show's sort of quietly been a really good showcase for him, uh, which has been great to see. Uh, the, the strange thing about Babylon is that it constantly seems to be setting up the next thing and not really taking time to like the show, uh, the version of Babylon that's just uh, Liz Garvey at work handling day to day, handling the job and dealing with crises, I think is really entertaining and fun. And that show has sort of never existed <laughs> because the show is constantly weird, like, oh, now we're doing this with James Nesbitt. Now we're worried about who's next in line. Um, now we're, you know, setting up this next thing. Uh, which is all interesting, but you kind of wonder, like, what's the stuff in between where she's just doing her job and we're just seeing what the culture is like. Um, it's I, maybe it's a symptom of the show needing longer seasons. I don't know, um, but I kind of would like to see a more casual, less plot-driven version of the show, um, and I think also that would probably help fix your character issues.
0: Um, yeah, I I, I do think you're absolutely right about every everything seems to be building to something else and not actually, enjo- you know, enjoying or, or ex- really letting the audience experience a moment or, like, get any sort of payoff. So it's like, okay, just stick with us for the buildup and then... But then they never deliver on the and then. And then right. I'm supposed to be reinvested in this new thing that they are certainly saying is interesting and what I'm supposed to care about until they undercut that to switch to something else. Um, and I'm, I'm using harsher language than you're using because I'm less fond of the show than you are. Uh, however, I right. do absolutely agree. So much of uh, of those, those moments really did work. I like um, guys on S.H.I.E.L.D. right now cop who doesn't want to be a cop I, I thought that paid off very well in the finale i like the way that they brought together some of these other plot lines yeah th- that really worked but when we have um liz grabbing finn's hand in the car and the camera like cuts on it and then it's just like oh they're being weird about it i'm like oh God, i don't care yeah, don't
2: do that don't do that show
0: that doesn't this show that doesn't know that's not what you are show and it's just like i and when Liz is you know just a lot of the stuff with um the philosophy stuff we got with Liz this week I just I like that they didn't go the maybe the expected route of having her quash the footage yeah but no I mean just like I've said before I don't care about Liz as a person and I don't know how much of that is like what this structural element we talked about of how they steer the narrative and how much of that is the performance Um, and how much of that is the, the, they just keep giving her the same beats over and over again to, to play. Um, but I, I am not going to miss the show as much as certain of these storylines where they did work out well and did come full circle and everything. This is not a show I'm going to remember at the end of the year.
2: Yeah. I, I would say that, um, I think the Liz Finn dynamic works really well when it's about the job and like when they have these philosophical differences and you kind of see where he's coming from. Um, even though he is a total slime ball, and th- that that to me is also when that character works. Uh, I don't care about the like physical thing going on throughout the episode with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, um, I think th- a lot of the, the the character relationships in that sense were kind of mishandled. Um, I don't know. Like I- I- I'm intrigued by Babylon because I think it has all the parts necessary to make a really fantastic show. And like on a technical level, and on a on a writing level, and even on an acting level, like so much so much of the constituent parts are so amazing. And it's just, like, it's like a weird Lego set with a bunch of parts missing or, like, a bunch of parts that are just too large or too small and in weird colors and the paint's coming off. Like, it just doesn't quite fit together. But I feel like it's the kind of show that we need, you know, a show that is about, you know, police culture that is willing to have in the same episode cops being completely over-the-top corrupt and a bunch of other cops just trying to keep their heads down and do their jobs in a way that they can respect, and that can exist in the same universe uh, mm-hmm. and is contiguous. Um, is it weird to say that I kind of want the American version of this show? <laughs> 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 I want an American series that can do all those things, but then have a more procedural element where we can explore the characters over more time?
0: Is this a televerse first? I think I it think is. It's a, I
2: think it's a universe first.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. I would be very intrigued to see what that would be, assuming it had the kind of pedigree that the show has. Um, yeah. Uh, let's move on to our next episode, Fortitude. Uh, okay, so ep- this is the fourth episode based on screener titling, but it's episode three based on... It's week three. It's yeah. week three. That's maybe the best way to do it. No, there's the one character who's... Uh, currently camping out in the snow, right, with his daughter. I'm, not, I'm a little unsure of that storyline just because I can't quite remember what's going on with it. Can you enlighten me?
2: Well, actually, it's something I struggle with 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 Fortitude, actually, because I know you watched it all in one go. I've been watching it week to week just because I feel like I would end up in your shoes. And even from week to week, I, I struggle with remembering what this group of uh, of white people with secrets is doing, um, which uh, is not really a slight against the show. Uh, but I, I I do feel like they're we're at the um, getting to the fireworks factory portion of the season. Uh, we do get a little bit of fireworks factory this week with uh, one of the characters uh, sawing off a tusk, which was a really great uh, visual. Yeah, if nothing else. Um, I'm starting to wonder if there is a satisfying conclusion to this that doesn't involve zombie monster aliens.
0: In the snow. <laughs> like really, uh, I am
2: starting to wonder that.
0: Like every every time we see him, I keep waiting for main cop guy to be revealed as a werewolf. Right.
2: Or something, something yeah, or a, like, or a sasquatch, secret sasquatch.
0: Yeah, because and that's why like he's showing up at these crime scenes. And there's been somebody who's been like mauled and violently killed, and it's because stealth. Because I would totally buy it from that performance. Anyways, um, no, you mentioned that overhead shot of the the tusk. I thought that was such a great visual. Again, the cinematography, the lighting of that, but also just the otherness of of it and the the. Mm-hmm. The, the mammoth or whatever is it's just really very effective. Um, we're gonna get there's there's a bit of fireworks factory next week, <laughs> which is all I'll say okay. about that. Um, and I, I like when we get the reveal here. I like this reveal of information missing in what like the camera cutting away from episodes that we've seen earlier. So we find out there's this, this bloody shirt, right, which we saw part of that. But that that scene of like how his shirt got bloody is just entirely missing mm-hmm. from the the narrative that we followed with that character in the first two episodes, right? That was in the pilot. We see him throw out the shirt, but yeah. we never saw how it got bloody. Right?
2: Yes. Yes, yes, that's correct.
0: So I like that they're kind of this it's they, they didn't lie to us. But there are gaps it that didn't they didn't, show us. and they didn't yeah. draw attention to it either. They didn't go like, oh, "His shirt is bloody now. How did that happen?" You know. So I like that they are just sort of, kind of going. It's 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 sneaky, but it, or I should say it's sly. Doesn't feel sneaky. Doesn't seem right. right. It's sly. It, I'll give it to him. It, it's working well, and I, it's that that goes to an interesting place next week. Um, how do you feel about um, the end of the episode? That that you know is that was that a little, that a little too on the nose for you or?
2: Uh, I thought it was fine. I like the idea that this is a town where everybody bangs everybody and everyone's theoretically okay with it, but not really. Every
0: now <laughs> like, and again, it doesn't quite, you know, there's some tension.
2: Yeah, I, 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 that feels like, it It doesn't feel too TV drama-y to me. Like, it makes sense that it, that it, that would just break down from time to time. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping they don't overplay that note for the next eight episodes, because yeah. that will get really tiresome. I also wanted to mention that, uh, I hadn't noticed this before, but, um... Ben Frost does the music, and he's uh, one of my favorite sort of quasi-avant-garde uh, modern composers, and it makes perfect sense that he's working on this, not only because of his name. Um, I'd say so far, I haven't really made too much notice of the music. I'm hoping that uh, I will, there will be at least one totally spine-chilling moment uh, to come, because I, he's totally capable of that. But anyway, I just thought it's cool that one of my favorite people is, is, is handling the music for a show that I like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, any thoughts on Stanley Tucci? What's because we haven't checked in on the show since basically since he's been on it. Uh, right. h- how is that character working for you? Um,
2: he's obviously very fun. Uh, I'm hoping that he, he, there's kind of a superhuman vibe to his character that I am uh, suspicious of. Not un- not totally unlike the Billy Bob Thornton character on Fargo, um, where you know they they're the outsider who come in and they just seem to have a preternatural sense of every of what to say and when to say it. Um, and you know, like in like the the autopsy sequence from last week, where he's like gives people their room to do the investigation, but really he's in charge. And like, I I would like to see him uh be less cocksure at some point. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping that comes soon because he if there is a condescending aspect of like oh like these are small town people and I'm a city person and I can control the situation. And so far the show's been totally right about him controlling the situation because he's never been not in control. So I'm hoping that they are going to mix that up and have him be less superior as as fun as tushi is in the role and he is very fun uh the dynamic is a little bit uh wacky and we still haven't found out how he got there that fast have we
0: Dot, dot, dot. yeah and that's one of the things that's been fun for me with with that character is that there's clearly he has he he plays things very close to the best and uh he the reason he is so so cocky or so um what feels condescending to you is that there's a set of information that he has that the people there don't know that he has. And so he's not surprised by things that they think he should be surprised by. Um, And so at a certain point, I would assume, and I haven't seen these episodes yet, but I would assume that that will no longer be the case. That he he will no longer have a set of information that the the audience doesn't have, maybe, or or that the townspeople don't have. Like at some point, that dynamic will change, uh, and I look forward to seeing how the character deals with that. But um,
2: now, what I keep slightly hearing from you is wait for next week.
0: Well, it's not so much that. I mean, next next week is the last episode that I've already seen. I really enjoy next week's episode. Um, and uh, but but there's um that doesn't change okay right away but i think that the we get a better idea of of where he's coming from and and all that so it's, it's it's again it's the same kind of thing of like wait how could you have gotten here this quickly just like the sheriff how could you have gotten to where this guy was mauled by the polar bear so quickly how how did you you know how did the other guy stumble across the body so quickly and in the the, sec- the last case there, that was coincidence. He was going over to talk to him about something else. It just happened that, you know. But in the other two cases, we don't have an answer for that yet. But I think an answer is coming.
2: Uh, you know, well, I I hope I just hope it's coming sooner rather than later so they can move on to uh, the zombie, Sasquatch, <laughs> demon.
0: Whatever it is. Carcosa,
2: okay. Yellow King, whatever is happening in the snow. Okay.
0: Uh, any other thoughts on Fortitude or shall we move on to Justified?
2: Uh, let's do that.
0: The uh, trash and the snake. What do you think? Is Raylan trying to avoid, you know, going going home to his kid? Um,
2: not consciously, I don't think. Um, I think he is loath to not do the best he can at the job, and he's loath. I think the idea that um, being a good father means uh, being somewhat lax in your martial duties, I think, is a tough thing for him to accept if it turns out to be the truth. Um, I don't think he's necessarily being uh. I don't think he's deliberately being a bad dad. I don't think there's any universe where that's true. I think he does earnestly want to do better. I don't think I don't think he necessarily likes every aspect of what doing better may mean. Mm. And I I think that the I, I think the season's done a, a decent job so far of sort of introducing those concepts to him and letting them percolate in his brain a little bit. Um, that being said, I'm because of last season I was hesitant to uh, embrace this season. And I, th- I think I don't know about this, but at this point, I'm pretty much totally on board. Like, I maybe it's just because um, the new cast members are so fun and they're such a natural fit for this environment. Maybe it's the casual pacing. Maybe it's the fact that the humor is definitely in full force. Um, but this season's already clicking to me in a way last season didn't. Um, and I like that even though it is the last season, uh, there is no sense of like we must close all these loops right now there's more of a casual sense of oh we've got another chance to check in on loretta we got another chance to check in on dickie let's do it maybe we'll do them again and maybe we won't that's cool um i think the the approach to that has all been very smart even though it it's all i mean is it convenient that we've looped in all these characters into this plot line once again yes but it's justified deal with it
0: yeah I, I, this is a loretta episode so of course it's great. I I love whenever they bring that character, and she and Raylan have such a great dynamic, uh, and, and that that does work very well. She it must be nice to get a break from Last Man Standing. To go do justified, <laughs> but then again, she's a young actress making a bunch of money, so I really shouldn't shed too many tears for her over on her network sitcom. Um, nope. Anyways, uh, the rest of this episode, I mean, I do I do really like what we get here. Um, Mary Steenburgen continues to be awesome. Uh, her stuff with with, with uh, Ava is great. Catherine's stuff with Ava really works well. Um, watching Ava, just Ava's constantly being pushed further on to her edge uh is really effective I mean we get an arts moment here with, with new guy or whatever new bank vault guy that was pretty pretty great as well on the comedy front but um really, for me, this episode is about um it's about Ava and it's about Loretta and we talk about um you know I think there's very you know like there are very few characters that they could rope in that I would be as concerned about or really care what happens to them. As Loretta. So, I mean, like, and when they bring in the Sam Elliott character and he has her try the apple pie before he drinks it, like, like all those nice little details of series memory work very well. And putting Loretta in the crosshairs is a good way to make me invested in them taking down the Sam Elliott character.
2: Yeah, I'll be curious to see if they're going to keep her around for any period or if it's just a one off. Um, yeah, I, I, I would assume she gets at least one more appearance. Um, I like, I like the way Graham Yost puts it when people, people ask him every time we see a long recurring character, uh, we're going to see them again. He always says, it would be strange if we didn't, mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than saying yes or no. Um, like I fully expect to to get Constable Bob action at some point. Um, yeah.
0: I need to see Constable Bob and I need to see Noble's Holler again.
2: Yeah. Noble's, uh, that might be trickier, but, uh, I, I would assume that will probably happen if they can keep doing it in a, in a, in a reasonably natural way. That'll be great. Um, I think another really important thing about the season that they're doing really well—it's a little bit forced, but I'm okay with it—is the fact that um, Markham and uh, and all the other baddies this season are very aware of who they're dealing with. They know basically, literally everything about Ava and Boyd and Raylan to like an almost absurd degree. Mm-hmm. But it's it's be- it's a much better way for them to differentiate those characters. Like, there's no carp- it, it removes the carpetbagger aspect of. Uh, of that we've seen from villains before where where they're under as as uh president bush would have said misunderestimating characters um but uh could they do more with the, with with that aspect or with these villains probably but i think it was a really smart move again like there's obvious contrivances this season that i don't care about because it's led to some really top-notch entertainment
0: yeah this is a really successful episode and certainly uh you know the, i like the little details we get about win this week Hawaii, yes. surfing, it works. Yeah. I can totally see it, yeah. Uh, so it's it's another really strong episode of Justified, and like you said, this, this season is well on track, I would say. Uh, I'm much more invested than I was at the beginning of the season, and most of the arcs, actually, just straight up, pretty much everything. Um, any final thoughts on Justified this week, or shall we move on to our last show?
2: Uh, just that I'm really glad they're leaning so heavily on the humor aspect, because I'm assuming as it winds down, they're going to be able to do that less and less. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's good to do that now. Uh, the Americans. Um, yep.
0: Ooh. So <laughs> Have you, go- Visit I, your did, local you dentist. did you schedule your dental appointment yet? Because that's what I was I was watching this to be like, I need to get a checkup in a sanitary, well lit facility.
2: What's, <laughs> what's crazy is that that sequence is. I mean, that sequence is amazing on so many levels. Mm-hmm. What's amazing is that it's still not half as cringy. As the luggage sequence from last week.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, but what I really loved about it, and I couldn't, I hadn't put my finger on it until I read uh, the the review from Emma Fraser over at uh, friend of the show over at TV My Wardrobe, where she talks about how it's very much filmed like a sex scene, like Mm -hmm. it's very trusting, relaxed. Like the there's a lot of physical contact with like touching shoulders and everything, like. There's a an openness and a vulnerability to that th- that scene, the, the the dynamic of the two of them. That I mean, like I I wouldn't I didn't I couldn't quite place why it was so effective that, that sequence or whatever why it was so powerful. But that was that was so much of what it was because there's so, such despite all their conflict this season over what's going on with Paige, the intimacy and the trust between these two. In that a sequence like that is really really palpable.
2: Uh yes that's everything you just said i mean the way it's filmed uh the blocking the just and also just the the when you're talking about how it's similar to a sex scene it's like it's similar to an an especially protracted sex scene like they take their time with this sequence to the point where like um you know we have that first attempt Mm -hmm. that's just like it's so painful and awful and it's like nah didn't quite get it gonna have to go back in worse like just be ready for this the rhythms of it are just so gnarly oh anyway um rest of the episode's good too
0: yeah <laughs> uh how about how are you feeling about stan
2: um i i always love everything with stan i think that um we need to put like a press pause for a moment and just give give thanks to noah emmerich who um I think his, like over the course of the show if you were to again on paper just describe Stan and what he goes through with Nina and his wife and even the S stuff it just sounds so played out and wrote and he ha- he brings like a baseline level of just like bone deep resentment and sorrow that I think just comes through so beautifully uh, it's it's a, it's just a, a, a just a great marriage of casting and writing. Uh, it's very difficult for them to go wrong with that character. I also like the way um, he has this growing distrust of the uh, of I forget, lady with the with the very Russian name uh, from the Canada U.S. center uh, mm-hmm. that may or may not be uh, warranted be accurate. Like when it, when you know when when obviously when he gives that speech about neo Nazis and talks about oh, they tell you what you want to hear. And then that gets warped in this other way. I I kind of like the idea that he's just flat out wrong mm-hmm. and will just continue to be wrong for weeks.
0: Yeah, and it really could go either way. Uh, and, and and I like that there's no information that Philip or Elizabeth have about this either because there's no reason for them to know it. If, if she is an operative, you know, working a long con on the U.S. government. They don't have a reason to be in on that, so they don't know either. Mm-hmm. And so that I mean, I, I do really like the way that that's being played out uh, so far. I think it's really effective. We have uh, introduced here the the babysitter character, and they, because they they are explicitly told not to go back, and yet they do to try to to mm-hmm. overhear. Um, having this be such a young woman, young yeah, like a teenager, isn't she like seventeen or something like that? Yeah. Which is not that far off from pages almost 15. Um, having seen next week's
2: episode, I'm going to stay mum on this. But um, I think Julie Garner is, is really good in the role. I've seen her in other things, um, and I think she's very good here. It is very st- sort of uh, my favorite word, schematic, uh, to have um, them handling young people in a time when they're dealing with the page issue. Uh, yes, that's a very deliberate writerly sort of de- decision. Um, but I think A... It works really well because the show is so elegantly written and I sort of don't care. And because it's it's delving into these issues in a level that no other show is even vaguely approaching. And because we know the history of people that they work with, which is terrible. Not good. Everyone dies. Yeah. Literally everyone has died. Has yeah. anyone
0: not died? So far, Martha?
2: <laughs> so far, Martha. And she may very well end up like that lady who found out that her husband was a spy and then immediately jumped out a window. So,
0: uh... yay! Um, well, on that cheery, cheery thought, uh, what wins your week in drama? Does the Americans award go to the Americans again?
2: The Americans award does, in fact, go to the Americans. Um, I think Justified is can only go upwards from here, though. Uh, slash, I'm really hoping that it does because I review it weekly for Sound On Sight. Uh, I think it, it could go for the steal at some point, point. and RIP Jake Busey, you were loved.
0: <laughs> well, uh, yeah, for me as well, the Americans' award goes to the Americans, though, like you say, I think Justified could, uh, you know, if Americans has a duff week, then uh, Justified could sneak in there, as could Fortitude, but not this week. Um, A few show notes here. You can find a post for this episode up at soundonsite.org, where you can leave us a comment and let let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like us on Facebook and start a conversation up there. We'd love to talk with you guys on on Facebook as well. And, of course, uh, we are up in iTunes with an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed, and we would appreciate any feedback we can get there. Ratings and reviews to help other people find the show. uh, Raise our profile. Just a tiny, from, like, nothing to just a little even more than nothing
1: it should be nice
0: um and then of course you can find us both on twitter i am at the televerse and simon you are
2: uh at sucker howl
0: and what is our question of the week i would say in the spirit of the
2: slap is there anything that you've enjoyed that uh the general response was either indifference or uh outright snarky hatred uh we already we already have a built-in answer for this question so
0: yeah yeah we'll uh leave that there but yeah i look forward to seeing what some of you guys uh, have had that experience. Like, what shows you guys have had that experience with? Great question. Yeah, just total
2: critical cognitive dissonance.
0: Yeah, totally. Uh, well, now we're going to take a break and come back with Sarah Rodman of the Boston Globe to talk about... One of the all-time great sitcoms and series, The Dick Van Dyke Show. So we'll be right back after this.
1: I still say a guy could disguise his voice well enough that his wife wouldn't recognize him. And I say you're wrong, and I'll prove it to you. Come with me. I'll call my wife... Guaranteed she recognizes my voice in one second. All right, but you've got to try and make it real now. I'll make it real. Don't worry, I want to get out of here, too. Sure. Oh, guten tag, meine Fraulein. <laughs> Is this the lady at the house? <laughs> Stop screaming! How did I know you were taking a bath? <laughs> Well, no, not with that hokey comic accent he's using. You gotta make it a little bit subtle, make it sound real. Let me in there. All right, be my guest. I'll show you what you i want mean. You wanna call Laura? Yeah, I'm gonna call Laura. I guarantee you, as well as she knows me and knows my voice, I'll fool her. Hello? Hello, uh, Dr. Rossano, please. I told you. I told you it'd work. I fooled her completely. She fell for me. Me. Rob, you really think you fooled her? Of course I did. Nah, she knows it was you. No, I tell you, I fooled her. She was entranced. You know something? You know what she thought? She thought that she was flirting with a complete stranger. (laughs)
0: Who was that? Huh? Oh, that was Rob.
1: (laughs) The Dick Van Dyke Show. Starring Dick Van Dyke. Rosemary. Maury Amsterdam. Larry Matthews. And Mary Tyler Moore.
0: We're back with the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsick, joined us ever by Simon Howell. And this week on the DVD shelf, uh, we're going back to some more classic TV, which is always so so much fun. And this week, I'm happy to say Sarah Robbin of the Boston Globe is back to join us to talk about the Dick Van Dyke Show. Sarah, welcome back.
3: Why, thank you so much for having me back.
0: And so what made you want to talk about the Dick Van Dyke Show? Well, I feel,
3: Kate, I feel like we are, we are starting a scene now. Mary Tyler Moore is our link here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm down with it. <laughs>
3: And uh, this is probably, like that show was, one of my top 10, all-time favorite TV shows. I just think it's such a great model for so many things that came after it. I feel like it was a great pivot point in TV comedy, that it was doing things that hadn't really been done before. Or if they had been done, they hadn't been done quite in this way. And I just thought it was brilliant. and that more people need to watch and talk about it. So there you have it.
0: Yeah, it's a great show, and it's one that I had gone on a bit of like a a YouTuber Hulu spiral at one point, but uh, had gotten away from, and so I was so glad to have a reason to just sit down with the DVDs and really dig in, because I I agree, I think it's a great show. I think it has a really, uh, really good pilot to start off with, um, and just kind of goes forward from there. Uh, It's certainly one, there's a few of the episodes that I have known about most of my TV-watching life, but I hadn't really kind of... dived dove in uh in in a significant way with the series until this so it was great really getting to to get the feel of of you know some of these supporting characters and performances and i absolutely agree i think it's a a show way more people should watch
3: I feel like your older TV sister. There are these shows that (laughs) I I want to tell you that you and everybody else should be watching. And I mean, certainly the Dick Van Dyke show is not underrated by any means. I think that it it won 15 Emmy Awards while it was on. It was nominated for 25. It was one of the most Emmy-winning shows for a long time. So it's not that it wasn't critically praised. That first season it did not do exceptionally well. It was actually in danger of being pulled, but then went on to become a great hit. And certainly with... I think the thing that's interesting for a lot of people that haven't seen the show is they go back and they're like, oh, my goodness, Mary Tyler Moore in something so remarkably different than what she did after that. I mean, Laura Petrie could not be more, you know, the opposite of Mary Tyler Moore in some ways, you know, and I think it's a real treat for people that love that show to go back and enjoy this one because even though she was very forward thinking and sort of ahead of her time as Laura Petrie, she she wasn't quite the career lady that she became as, yeah, Richard.
0: Yeah, she's a very different character, but I still really like the performance. Uh, having, you know, gone back and really discovered Mira Tyler Moore Show with you last year, before diving in with the Dick Van Dyke show, I, as great as the performances and the character is, I couldn't help but kind of wish I was getting to see more Mary Richards in her performance because right. it's one of those things where I think I, I watched them in the wrong order. I think if I had watched Dick Van Dyke's show first, I wouldn't have, um. I, I would have appreciated that character a bit more, but knowing how she would continue to grow as a performer and uh, really get to have a lot more fun with Mary Richards. Um, on The Mary Tyler Moore Show, that was sort of a a different, you know, watching her play this much more traditional sitcom mom uh, in in this show. She's very good at it, um, but it still was just like, okay, now I need to go watch a Mary Mary Richard's, uh, Mary Tyler Moore Show, I should say.
3: Take on the world. But you know what's so interesting about Laura Petrie in some ways is that while she is, in, in some respects, a traditional sitcom mom, she was also more than that. And I think that that's one of the things that I thought was, pivotal about this show was it here, I mean, at, apparently at the time people were up in arms that she was wearing pants <laughs> <laughs> which like sounds so quaint now, you know but they were and she she had opinions and she wasn't just like, you know oh, Ward, you know, your father will take care of the beaver when he gets home like she had her own storyline, she was a full-blooded women, woman, she got jealous or she had men flirting with her, like she had her own issues So even though at the time, you know a stay-at-home mom meant something you know, a little bit different than it does now. She was still her own separate character. She wasn't just sort of standing around to be the straight man or be the nag or complain. She was funny, and she could sing, and she could dance, and that was incorporated into, into the storylines. And I I mean, I came to the show, obviously, after it was, I'm not quite old enough to have been watching it while it was on, <laughs> but after it, you know, in reruns, and I even as a little kid, I remember thinking, that's so great that, like, she's somebody. She's just not those whites and pearls document. you know she has her own story like lucy did to mm-hmm. a big fact that lucy was the center of her show but the laura was certainly more modern you know at the time which was so great because then you have somebody like dick van dyke who is this incredible charismatic charming hilarious gifted both in physical comedy and in sort of clever witty comedy and you know, that's somebody that you could absolutely get lost in the shadow of. And I just even remember thinking, as a young girl, like, it's so great that she's holding her own with this guy who then was, like, you know, a star, a Broadway star. And, like, I mean, that's the reason it's called the Dick Van Dyke Show. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Because, yeah, he's he's not a small performer and so you're you're absolutely right, right. it would it would take it would be very easy for someone to not for that to not feel like an equal partnership but it very it very much does uh, Simon had, had you seen any Dick Van Dyke show before this and uh, obviously you were not there for our Mary Tyler Moore show shelf I don't know if you've seen any of that series but what's your relationship with these two shows uh,
2: I had seen absolutely zero uh Dick Van Dyke shows so I didn't really know what to expect um that being said, whenever we go back and watch uh, 60s and 70s sitcoms uh, that are particularly acclaimed, I'm always surprised at how much um, the humor doesn't have any difficulty translating, um, especially the good ones. And I, this is definitely one of the good ones. To me, the most interesting aspect of Dick Van Dyke Show is um, watching them test the limits of what they can and can't do within this uh incredibly rigid format and I'm not saying that to be critical I mean like it's just it's just a fact of you know we have scenes in the house and scenes at the office and that's pretty much it uh, occasionally you'll get a flashback episode or you know a few other locations here and there but it's really limited in terms of scope uh, both physical and in terms of the number of characters involved it's also physical in terms of you know this is it's start we're starting in the early 60s there's a lot you can't do. And there's a lot of uh, social mores of the time that are just not going to feel palatable right now. Like any time there's a reference to um, to Mary Tyler Moore already, ha- you know, having having each meal ready in time for when he gets home from work, or he, she's got breakfast ready. How how does he want his eggs? Things like that are just not going to uh, play well right now, except as sort of a signifier of the time. Uh, but you're but at the same time you're dealing with TV comedy made by a group of very forward-thinking people. Uh, so you're so there's this wonderful tension between sort of uh, the past, present, and future going on on the show. That it, luckily it's not high-minded about at all. But watching it now, it does add this other level of enjoyment. Um, that being said, it's mostly just really, really funny. Uh, it's also interesting to watch that original pilot starring Carl Reiner and then see how completely it transforms based on, uh, I mean, obviously every aspect of the casting, but especially the difference between Reiner and Van Dyke is uh, profound.
3: Yes. And that was a a big deal at the time. And I think that a lot of, I mean, again, Dick Van Dyke was a big star and I think it in a lot of ways, I'm not sure what the exact word I'm looking for is, but it was really sort of magnanimous. I mean, he wanted the show to go, right? So if it wasn't working that way they had to find somebody else. But it's it's remarkable that this other person stepped in and the show still ended up being so fantastic when you know that on some level that really had to sting, that it was he was rejected in a show that was basically about his life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. We we like the show about your life, just not you, but would you still write <laughs> right. it and run no. it?
3: <laughs> right. But in some ways, I mean, it probably put some distance between him and the character where he was allowed to see the character do things that were outside of his purview that actually worked for the show better.
1: Yeah. So,
3: you know, I mean, I, I think that if it had been the show, if it had been had of the Family, that it might not have been as much of a, su- a success and not, not having anything really to do with him, but about having to do with alchemy, you know, like the right pieces in the right places and, you know, what. People were willing to accept, but I think it's interesting that you say that. I mean, yes, that the format was really rigid. But one of the things that always kind of impressed me about the show, in retrospect, was that they did do these sort of like dream sequences and loopy flashbacks, and like they did sort of where they could poke at the edges of the envelope. They did, in a way, I think other shows at that time probably weren't doing. I mean, that Walnuts episode was so wacky. And I don't think that there was much else on television like that. I mean, except for something like The Twilight Zone, which was sort of what it was spoofing, to really go into such a psychedelic place, for lack of a better way to put it.
2: It's funny when it, uh, you know, shortly after it premiered, uh, a lot of people thought that, you know, Community was really mind blowing. Uh, I mean,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Dick Van Dyke show was doing that 50 years ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 60. Years and also, ago. but that's
3: funny you mentioned community, though, know, because what's one big link, right, that there is between those things is that, you know, Dan Harmon and then like, by extension, Abed being so sort of consumed by TV tropes, right, that they do a bottle episode and they do, you know, a video game episode and they do animation. And I mean, the Dick Van Dyke show, I remember even again thinking as a kid, it was so interesting that, like, we are watching a show about people writing a show and that there are people writing the show that are doing this same thing <laughs> that we are watching. <laughs> like I remember just thinking that was really trippy. Like it was super meta that like somewhere there's actually a Sally Buddy and Rob in a room writing Sally Buddy and Rob who are now writing for Alan Brady.
0: Yeah. Well I mean this has got to be one of the first uh, behind the scenes kind of shows. Certainly it's the the earliest one I can think of that's that's lasted. And I can't
2: help but wonder, like, uh, if that's not itself the the beginning of of, a, of sort of a revolutionary idea, because, I mean, so many uh, 60s and 70s and so on and so forth comedies are all these, you know, very high concept, um, you know, these very high concept ideas about, oh, we're going to set this in the army or everyone's going to be doctors or everyone's going to be lawyers or we're going to be on Mars. I don't know what it is anyway. Uh, You know, just take your pick and to take this very basic idea of actually, no, they're just ordinary people who write TV. um, And then this is something that this is something that we know really, really well. And we, you know, there's that element of lived experience rather than sort of uh, contrivance that you hope will appeal to, to a bunch of people. And uh, that's coming from a very different place.
3: Right. That's the classic right. What, you know,
0: well, I imagine for a generation of people watching this, they're like, wait, that's a job. That's a thing you can do. <laughs> I can imagine exactly. this being really influential uh, to people. And and again, trying to, it's, it's interesting to try to watch this show with the perspective of what it might must have been like to watch it at the time when you hadn't seen a million other behind the scenes shows or shows about creatives, uh, and and to, to right, just exactly. have that be your first entry into that world. And to talking about the the writers, I mean, I really enjoy. I mean, S- Sally. The, the the Sally Wants to Get Married note, I mean, I don't know if it's just the ones, episodes that I watched. um Maybe I just watched a bunch of them where it was a significant plot point. Uh, that got a little over the top for me because the performance in those scenes, Rosemary's performance is always very... Uh, it, it, she's she's a lot to take in that moment, which I think is the point. Uh, but other than that, I really do enjoy watching them work.
3: Well, that's why she doesn't have a man, right? That's exactly. isn't that the
0: explanation
3: that she's so funny and she's so powerful and she has this great job. And the reason that there's this melancholy for her search for a man is because there's no man that can handle her, which she's in a way so is kind of ahead of a time, you know, yeah. recognizing that, that disparity between you know, having that kind of confidence and but it it cutting you off in a social way for being that way. I actually find that really resonant. I mean it gets I get that it gets tedious like Sally the Spencer kind
0: of thing, but she also had a boyfriend Herman Glimpsher. Yeah. Who <laughs> <laughs> likes his milk warm, just room temperature. Uh which is Just the best way, way, like this, the most economical way to introduce that character. You know everything you need to know about him (laughs) when he orders his drink. Exactly. (laughs) But I mean, I really going back to the pilot. I love the way the pilot has. I think um, it doesn't quite know what to do with the home side of things yet. I think the Mm maritime war and and Richie and everything that I think that works in the pilot, but it's not as uh, effective as what we get at work. But the the scene we get introducing. Buddy and Sally, and and watching... They each get to do their own thing and, and really show their strengths. I mean, the song that we get from Rosemarie in the pilot is fantastic. It's one of the character's best moments, and it's certainly something... Uh, Rosemarie <laughs> certainly knew what she was doing.
2: And that's, like, one of the most fascinatingly archaic aspects of the show is, um, you know, whenever, whenever someone has a party, and it's someone's job at any given time to entertain... Uh, mm-hmm. that's that's my that's my favorite like this we so don't do that anymore we don't entertain each other at parties we go off oh yes little, we do you need
3: do to come you? to some of my parties we sing we dance do you?
2: absolutely
3: absolutely you're,
2: you're yeah going to, going to and or throwing better parties than i am but i still think <laughs> that's that's not conventionally a thing that still happens and and, and especially in that pilot it, it's one of the it's one of the definite highlights
3: yeah, and I love and – it, and it became a, a running thing. I mean, when you have those people and those skills at your disposal, I mean, I think my – probably one of my top five favorite episodes is Alan Brady Presents, which is the Christmas special, where it's all singing and dancing, where they sub Alan's normal show for the writers and Laura and Mel Cooley even coming out <laughs> and, like, doing a number. And it's, it's not even really comedy. It's just a variety show. It's like a song and a dance bit, but it is also funny, and it touches on the – Sally needs a man, she requests a man from Santa for Christmas, and Buddy plays the cello, and Laura and Rob dance. But, I mean, I think you're right, that that is not, it is no longer the norm that people um, perform for each other at shows, but I think that when you're around creative people, that actually is more common than you might imagine, and since they were creative types, that it made sense within the context of the show.
0: I was going to say, that sounds directly out of every cast party I've been to for a show that I've done <laughs> That feels like a theater person thing um and I don't know if that's just my experience but uh but no I mean I yeah I, it's again th- these are very um they're very much performers our main characters and because they are uh, the, at least the buddy and Sally and Rob and because they are all writers, and they you know, specifically from a variety kind of background. I think it, it certainly works. And I, I mean, I've set, talked about Sally really liking Rosemary's performance. I think Maury Amsterdam is so much fun as Buddy. Buddy should get old, but he doesn't at all. And there's enough little details to the character that that are like nice through lines through the series. Like I love his relationship with Pickles and how that just comes. Like <laughs> that. We we at least I only recall seeing her a few times. Um, but I always you know. I felt like that was a character from the first few times they started to mention her. I got a sense of who that was right away. And so even when the actress who plays the character is, is not on the show, when they're just referencing her. it again, it feels like Buddy is a more lived-in guy who has a life outside of the show.
2: I, I might be imagining things, and you can correct me if I just haven't seen enough of the show to render this judgment, but I think another way potentially this show is really influential is the fact that this is a show about a married couple with a child and um they kind of minimize the presence of the child like there are definitely episodes where richie is is uh is a part of the plot um you know, it's like the the one with the woodpecker for instance but um i i i feel like they really they, they hone in more on the adults and rely and really don't rely on like cute kid humor at all which is really important
3: yeah, super refreshing, and also with no disrespect intended to Larry Matthews, who, you know, was a little kid at the time, but I always thought that Richie was the weakest link on that show. And I, when the shows were about him, The Bad Word and The Woodpecker, he was perfectly fine, but it was a grown-up show. I mean, they were talking about grown-up stuff, and I don't know. something. Maybe the fact that there was just one kid made him seem more mm. irritating to me. I don't know. <laughs> like, he didn't have somebody to play off with. I was never a big fan of Richie. Got it got to tell the
0: truth Well, see, I you know, maybe I just have seen more annoying kids in other shows, but he really didn't bother me too much. But I think like you're saying, Simon, it's because he's they don't try to give him overly precocious dialogue. Like I do love that the of course the fabulous episode where um we're flashing back to Rob thinking they have the wrong baby. They took the wrong baby to the hospital, which is just an all time great sitcom episode. But the, the very end of it after the twist, which is just amazing. Um, and one of the, the strong, uh, one of the great reveals that shows the value of a live studio audience. Um, another one being, of course, from taxi, but, uh, when they reveal Danny DeVito. But at the very end of the episode, when they're talking about Richie, they're just like, yeah, he's just like, you know, their kid is, you know, on a roll. Our kid's like not even see averages and stuff. I like that he isn't, because he's from this family with this creative, very intelligent family, they don't try to make him precocious, super genius kid. He's, you know, just a normal kind of vanilla, not the brightest bulb in the box, but he's sweet. But he also will just sit in a cupboard for hours. He's just kind of a weird kid.
2: I was gonna say, I feel like they foreground all this very early by making by giving him the habit of hiding behind stuff <laughs> uh, and in cupboards and places where he can't be seen nor heard. Um, it, that it, was a very smart early decision.
0: He feels like Absolutely. a forerunner to Luke on modern family to me, yeah,
3: I see that I mean he was average, but Luke seems like he might.
0: Maybe has some, harsh? you know,
3: <laughs> some educational problem. I feel like Richie did all right in school.
0: <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, let's talk a little bit about that—the uh, studio audience element, because I do think it's one of the strengths of the show. It really works here. It doesn't always work. I'm not always a fan of that uh, approach. But I mean, it's so fun. Every now and again, watching these episodes, there'll be just a moment where you can tell, like, one or two members of the audience. Get what like realize what's gonna happen a split second before right. everybody else. Every now and again, you'll just hear a, "Oh no, he didn't!" <laughs> like coming from the <laughs> audience. And like a second later, everybody else starts laughing. It's just delightful.
2: Well, I mean, yeah, the real I mean, laughter. Yeah, we're talking about a real ungoosed. On uh, un- you know, this is before they'd focus grouped how to how mm-hmm. to handle uh, how to handle a live studio audience to death. Uh, and it it does benefit from that. and er- everything you just said is absolutely true. And also it it's um, it's a, it's doubly appropriate here because of that of these openly performative characters uh, who who are constantly sort of, you know, uh, entire episodes are centered around testing out jokes and testing out uh, comic ideas, uh, like the one with uh, with Rob putting on the Italian accent. Uh, for the uh, on the phone and that whole thing like entire episodes are centered around characters uh, you know goofing on each other and, and making performances so having uh, a live audience reacting to these things uh, in on a real-time basis just adds another level of performativity to it that's completely appropriate
3: and they benefited cast wise too when you think about it if if not all at least most of the people in that cast were people that came from the stage that had live performance experience. So they knew about timing and they knew about handling a live audience. They knew that sense of the pre-laugh that you get as the, the, the energy of the audience coming along and keeping them in your grip. You know, I mean, it may have taped, you know, it may have been on tape but these were people with live performance experiences that I'm sure helped them in a way that you don't see as much probably on shows today with people whose experience is mainly on screen.
0: Yes, it's definitely, uh, definitely a strength of the show, and and knowing that they can rely on that and know just how long to hold a moment before moving on, it it really, these are people who know how to how to read and play an audience, and it it's a delight to see. Like I said, to see people who are good at this, doing doing their best, um, really taking advantage of that format. I mean, and, and when you talk about the cast? One of the other things that just really strikes me about Mary Tyler Moore, she was twenty four. when she Mm -hmm. started this so young so young so young, and so good so quickly and
3: but had had quite a bit of still had quite a bit of dancing and experience and things before that so i mean Mm -hmm. she she knew that she had strengths you know and i guess she she had written i think in her autobiography that she almost skipped this audition which is sort of another one of those oh my god how would that even be possible how would the show be possible without her
0: yeah. Well, and I just don't know that it would work. I mean, I think the work stuff would, but in the house... I mean, because really, one of the things I do very much enjoy about that character and the dynamic of it, because, like, Simon, you mentioned the episode where um, where Rob is putting on the Italian accent, I mean, I love that they let her be sexy, and they let her, her have this whole inner life that's going on. Yes, she's, you know, very much, yes, dear, how would you like your eggs, all that stuff as well. She's the, the lovely homemaker, but she also... You know, she also teases her husband and gives him a hard time and they have a very supportive uh, relationship. But they also let her be the punchline. You know, they let her be insecure and they also let her be, um, I guess, get one up on him. So you can have an episode like. Like the, like the one with the, the accent over the phone, where it's just her screwing with him for half the episode. Or when she
3: dyes her hair. Or when, or she dyes when, her hair. when she's feeling insecure. Or when yeah. the old bows come out of the woodwork. Those were some of my favorite episodes to see him feeling insecure and jealous of, like, you know, she could have married this one or she could have married that one. And then they get to tell their own love story in that one episode to Richie. And, I mean, in a lot of ways it was a really lived-in marriage where I don't think that that was something that was happening a lot at the time on television I mean were we really thinking about Ward and June Cleaver and how they met and why mm. they loved each other?
2: I mean yeah. maybe we were I don't know. But I feel <laughs> like
3: we probably weren't. Well
2: <laughs> and the 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 even just the existence of, of flashback episodes like the one where you know we see how they attempted and reattempted to get married and things like that. Uh like that those to me are like if not uh the most influential of the series. Uh, pretty close because, I mean, that's setting the template for so many shows to come, especially stuff like The Simpsons where they use, uh, you know, flashback. You know, they establish the characters and then after a while uh, start to start to fill in specifics of the past. Uh, like, I don't know if if this show started it, but it definitely feels very specific to those future examples. Yeah, yeah
3: absolutely. And, and to go back to the thing that you said earlier, Kate, that I thought was so interesting about the workplace and that people sort of not really – connecting the dots between, like, there's a show on my television, ergo someone must write this show that happens on my television. I wonder how much of that was, you know, Carl Reiner sort of going to parties or any of those people that wrote your show of shows and those kinds of things back then and people being like, and what do you do? And them explaining and getting that sense from just, you know, regular television watchers, oh, you do that, that must be so glamorous, that must be so exciting, (laughs) and them knowing that, in fact, Although it is glamorous and exciting on my level, but mostly it's kind of an office job sitting around trying to come up with ideas like a lot of people's jobs are and, and I wonder if if a little bit of the impetus for it wasn't that. The reaction that they got from people thinking, Ooh, you work in T V, that must be so special. And it is special, but it is also, you know, universal in its relevance to anybody that has a job. Well, and has coworkers that they have to deal with.
2: And it's especially appropriate um that that awareness is being uh, mined here, considering this show is sort of the the beginning or near the beginning of several entertainment dynasties. I mean, not just the Reiners, but also the Whedons.
0: <laughs> yep. Right,
3: exactly, Johnson's granddad making it happen.
0: <laughs> no, it's it's a very very talented. Uh, group of people involved that that came together to to make this work. I mean, like for example, the the Buddy Sorrel character is based on uh, at least partially on on Mel Brooks. And we, I mean, there's a lot of very funny people either working on the show or being inspirations for the characters. And like like we we talk about Carl Reiner, you know, be helming the show and like the original pilot and everything. If the original pilot had gone, I don't know that the show would have worked. But if nothing else. We wouldn't have gotten to see Carl Reiner play Alan Brady, and he's hilarious as Alan Brady. The episode where, uh, was it uh, Coast to Coast Big Mouth or whatever it is in the last season, mm-hmm. where where his toupee is revealed accidentally, uh, uh by uh, by Laura on TV, uh, just that performance from him is just fantastic.
3: And it, that's you know it's funny you mentioned Pickles earlier, and Alan Pickles we saw a little bit at the beginning, but then she became an off screen character, almost like. Norm's Vera or, Mm -hmm. you know, um, those unseen people. And he was unseen for a long time, and then he was only seen from the back. And then they finally sort of revealed him. And I'm not sure what the thinking was there, but I I love that slow reveal that we finally find out who he is and that he is this sort of mass (laughs) of insecurities. And, And also that the show is constantly being referred to, which I think has become was also, was influential in a sort of very specific way, that the Ellen Brady show, the sense is that it's not a very good show. <laughs> that, like, it's kind of hacky sometimes. And I feel like the way that people make fun of their bosses now and make fun of the show that they make in this show within a show type shows, not a lot of saying show in a short mm-hmm. period of time, but um, that that has become a thing. I mean, I don't think that we were to, meant to think that it was a terrible show, but that it was a struggle and sometimes it was kind of hacky and that Rob's big concern is that people thought he wasn't intellectual enough and that he was just this hacky TV writer. And I I think that's interesting that that became sort of a, a, not an archetype necessarily, but it became a a type of person that is this aspirin person who's doing this great funny thing, but wishes he was doing this great lofty thing instead.
2: Wait a second. Is this, I feel like this is kind of an unspoken rule because, like, when you have a show about making television, and uh, and the television that you're making is supposed to be amazing, it almost never works. I mean, think about right. like, studio, studio 60, 60. uh <laughs> The news, maybe it's just a Sorkin thing, but like, I feel like if you're gonna do an inside TV show, the show inside the show kind of has to be bad. Look at or hour.
3: at least hit, at least hit and miss. I mean, I think yeah. that both the Alan Brady show and 30 Rock being sort of the primary examples. I mean, I think that we saw enough of the 30 Rock sketches that were like legit funny, even if they were train wrecks in a way, that you have the sense that these people definitely have talent, but perhaps the execution is not the best that it could be and that it's not 100% great all the time. But I think you're right. Any show that presents the thing that it's making as the best thing, I can't think of one that has been (laughs) successful.
2: Well, yeah. or maybe it's just that they're working in an industry that doesn't value or reward greatness. Like maybe that's the the, the principal takeaway. I don't want to get too too inside baseball on in this. I just I just find that lineage fascinating
0: which is the writers you know aren't spending all their time making the show within the show good they're spending their time making the show good <laughs> so yes right gonna, exactly exactly so that's and it's a recurring theme and not just in in tv but like i immediately think of something like like rent which is a musical that i love but when you get to the big song that's supposed to be the big deal song you're like really this is the oh, God, how many times do they rhyme things with eyes? You know, like, it doesn't, it never lives up to the hype. Uh, And so when you, you know, when it's not supposed to be life-changing, it works much more successfully. Uh, Do we have any other characters we wanted to mention? Or, uh, because we're we're already out of time, Um, how about favorite episodes? So I love that
3: Alan Brady presents ones that I mentioned. And I think that The Walnut Show is probably one of my favorite shows ever. Just that image of her swimming out,
0: of the closet (laughs) and
3: Rob thinking he's so insane. Like nobody was better at Dick Van Dyke. I mean, he's like such a, he's, he's a lovely man and he's very talented, but he's, you know, just like kind of a regular white guy. And that he has like this super angst was always so funny to me that he was so paranoid and he had these specific rules. And I feel like in the Walnut episode, it like brought all of that to the head. All of his like quirky idiosyncrasies and like just being super neurotic. <laughs> mm. I just always really enjoyed like this regular looking guy who could be just your neighbor that waves and picks up like the Truman show. Like if he's just this really sort of mass of nerves on the inside. I always really enjoyed that.
0: Yeah, it it may look like a a walnut or whatever it is. One of the yeah great episodes of this show and and I, mean, I just gotta love a show and in its second season it barely got picked up for it only got picked up for those who don't know who are listening it only got picked up because i think it was what proctor and gamble uh, one of their sponsors threatened to cut all of their ads for daytime tv which the network actually cared about so that's why it came back and it ended up being a, a wow. huge hit because it was placed after the number one show which was the Beverly Hillbillies? The
3: Beverly Hillbillies, which yeah. is so hilarious when you think about it, where you have this sort of like show that is at least thought of as a retrospect as urbane and sophisticated behind the Beverly Hillbillies, and that's what you know carried them to success. Yeah.
0: And so they're just early in the second season. They're like, let's just do a full-on like paranoid Twilight Zone, totally sci-fi weird episode. Just. Cuz. I mean, I, I love the creativity of that. Uh, Simon, do you have any favorite episodes that we haven't mentioned?
2: Um, I don't think so. Like, I stuck very much to the, the canon favorites. The, the, the single one that I found funniest was probably That's My Boy, which is the one with the famous uh, twist ending, which I feel like even though it's been almost 60 years, I we still don't want to spoil yeah, it. Yeah, we, we can't, can't spoil it. Can't. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I do want to say, and that's me loudly knocking on wood, it's kind of awesome that, like, all the principles we're talking about are still around, and in some cases, still working. Like that's mm-hmm. pretty cool.
0: It's very cool. I know,
3: and, and and Millie Helper showed up on the Nanny as as Prince grandmother. I remember being so excited about that. Millie, the next door neighbor, mm-hmm. still working, and then like I mean, I'm I'm not sure if she is still with us, but you know, in in her later age, you know, getting love, and of course, Leonard and Sheldon on the Big Bang Theory being named for executive producer Sheldon Leonard as homage. I always thought that was a a nice TV tip of the cap.
0: One of the, a couple of the episodes I wanted to mention, I I love the episode um, with uh, Laura getting stuck in the tub.
3: The big toe.
0: (laughs) Yeah, because it's just, it's so ridiculous. And I mean, I do think the, the structure of it works so well. And there's all these, these fun little beats within it, as well as just being, again, one of those, uh, ep- structural episodes where it's it's a flashback and that lets them go in and out of you know the narrative and kind of play with you know the audience's uh, understanding of you know we because of the bookends we have an idea of what's we think is going to happen like, and then the way that they play with wait why can't she come out. Wait, she's stuck in, how could you be stuck in, like, the way they kind of whittle that down is fantastic, as well as just giving plenty of opportunity for uh, Dick Van Dyke's ridiculous physical comedy. Um, Also, I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't uh, mention the episode, uh, was it My Husband is Not a Drunk, where a bell rings?
3: Yes, the Habitus episode.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time a bell rings, uh, Rob um, goes from being drunk to being sober because uh, he's been hypnotized accidentally. Uh, it's just delightful. I mean, and it's very over the top. It's not realistic drunk, but he's not supposed to be drunk. He's supposed to be acting like he's drunk. There's so many really knockout episodes of this series. But the last thing I'll say about it is that I do think it's very consistent. I, I mean, I, obviously, we I think we watched some of the best episodes of the show or the ones that are the most beloved to, to catch up for the show. But I also kind of just dipped in and out of the different seasons and throughout the whole show. It really, once they get the sense of, of who Laura is and really start to let Mary Tyler Moore do more than just again, be the wife. Uh, I do think it's a very consistent and strong show. And it's also for our listeners, very available online. So there's no reason for y'all not to watch it.
3: I think who has all of it available. Yeah. So I definitely check it out. I mean, you know, go go off the ones that we've mentioned, but go deeper. I think you're right. I think that, I mean, I've seen the whole run of it probably two or three times, and there's definitely some duds. Every show has some duds. But another thing that always impresses me is that even though there are elements that survive that are just sort of set up punchline, set up punchline that are very basic, almost every single episode has some quirky, clever twist to it, even if it's just a couple of jokes, if it's not an elaborate flashback or something like that, the the rhythms of it really were special in a way that I don't think that people are necessarily allowed to do today, that there is, you know, the multi-camera formats and you are allowed to do set up punchline, set up punchline, and that's that with the open and the tag, or then you have the single camera thing that's a little more nuanced, but can't be quite as broad and dumb. And I feel like they managed to do clever and quirky and broad in a way that was really special it's
2: also Absolutely. one of those shows where um you know when you get when you on those rare occasions when you get to a joke that's totally uh predictable and hacky and unfunny you can at least say yeah but they did it first <laughs> right <laughs>
0: That's true,
3: <laughs> exactly. And maybe the Alan Brady show was hacky was because the three of them were sitting around like worrying about Richie and Pickles and Herman Glimcher instead of writing the show. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Perhaps. Oh man, so much fun. Uh, well, any final thoughts on Dick Van Dyke show, you guys? It's
3: only like a hundred and fifty something. One hundred fifty-eight. I always preferred when he didn't trip over the ottomans. But that's just a personal choice.
0: Well, uh, thank you, Sarah, so much for coming back on the podcast. It's always a pleasure. Uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online?
3: They can find me at bostonglobe dot com and on Twitter at globe Rudman.
0: And again, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Telliverse.